Yeah, here. We're fine. Welcome to Get in the Garage. Ow, ow. We are here once more in the Sun Porch studio, surrounded by a beautiful foliage on this nice, finally cool summer day. Yeah, and beautiful artwork made by your wife. Yes, 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 yes. Check her out. Shades of Azul on Instagram. Her Spanish uh, heritage. Yeah. <laughs> deep, deep Spanish heritage. No, I French, fr- French Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> A podcast about music. So let's move on. Um, today we wanted to do something sort of, you know, that we thought was fun. Go back to the well, back to our roots. Yeah, and um, we're going to talk about some of our favorite guitar solos <laughs> of all time. Uh, this isn't like a ranking episode or anything like that. It's just, you know, we each picked five or, well, four, four guitar solo songs but the but we each picked one at the end that's all instrumental. Nope, we did five guitar solo songs and then one. Oh, instrumental. Oh, and then one instrumental. Yeah, okay, I messed that up. Sorry, I did pick. Start five. over. I, just yeah, kidding. Just kidding. Just all keep right, going. Right. Who gives a shit? Um, who gives a shit? Rock and roll. <laughs> I say that and I gold jacket. Who gives a shit? Uh, I did pick. I did pick five. I was. I was. Yeah, wrong. Anyway, it's all six total. But did anyway. you pick five? Does the mountain one count as seven choices by itself? It's fucking thirty minutes long. I've been Bro. listening to songs for two days. I still am only halfway through that song. Dude, I, well, as soon as we got to Mike's picks, I was like, really? There's like, not enough time in the world for these songs. Like, I, like he, you did, you picked the most Mike solos of all time because I was expecting. Like, I was like, this dude's gonna pick like every fifteen minute solo there is, and he did. Yep. Uh, there's only there's one really long and one quasi long. They're both pretty long. Yeah, I'm excited for all of them. So <laughs> why don't we, why don't we kick it off? It's been a while since we kicked off as Luke being our Here's first our first guy. So Luke, why don't you uh, why don't you kick our greatest guitar solos of all time countdown? Oh, wow. <laughs> Presented by VH1 Classic. <laughs> oh, my shout favorite. out VH1 Classic. I hope Flavor loves on later. Let's go behind the music. Okay. So my first pick is uh, um, for, like, guitar solos. I'm going to pick – I tried to pick some that were, like, uh, unorthodox, and I feel like this one's out there. So uh, I picked 1969 by the Stooges, yeah. guitar player Ron Ashton. Um, so – before we get into like anything about the solo, it, the solo starts at a minute and 42 seconds into the song and then goes until the fade out. So it's about two minutes and 22 seconds of guitar solo. Um, so why I chose this one is like, I mean, this is like the pinnacle wah-wah solo of all time. Yeah. It was like no other wah solo, I think, before or after. Um, and I really like how it's just like hopped up on the Bo Diddley beat. Um, it's also a guitar solo that is like overtly psychedelic and, but not like, um, shreddy at all. Yeah. Like not in like the notes, you know, it's more of like, um, a play on like the rhythm. Yep. Um, so that's why I really wanted to show it. And also it's like, um, you know, I think it's a, it's, I here wrote in my notes, it's a, the Bo, Bo Diddley beat played to like, it's like the Bo Diddley to 10. Yeah. Um, and I, and I just loved like the fuzz and the wah 
sound mixed together and how he plays over the rhythm, like, you know, very creatively. And um, I also love the... <laughs> oh, good, because part of this episode, everybody has to give at least 10 seconds impression of their song. <laughs> yes. It's part of each choice. You um, can't play it because of licensing. Yeah, like when the when solo kicks in, it's like, wow, and it's like a giant ball of fuzz goes off, like yeah. like a bomb explodes of fuzz. And then for the rest of like the two minutes, it's just, it's just you know, built around the wall going up to in various stages of fuzz. Um I just really like it. This song is basically a guitar solo. Yeah. Anyway, like the verses are really short. So opening track of the debut album. Yep. And I like that it's a wah solo, but it's not like like it's no there's no giving a shit about what rhythm it's going to. Yeah, it's right, just right. very much like randomized, like Yeah, because traditionally the wah will at least like follow some sort yeah. of like tempo beat kind of thing. Punk rock, messiness, sloppiness. I like it. Yeah, Attitude. I love it. And that's why yeah. yeah, that's a great point too. It's not used in like a um the way like funk players yeah. use the wah or just keep rhythm like like yeah. it's so out there. Well, it's not even used to like punctuate. It doesn't even seem like he builds and uses it to accent phrases. It just like totally seems like he's just doing it when he feels like doing it, and it like doesn't really match with the notes. Sometimes, sometimes he's going to like a lower note and he just does it, and you're like, that wouldn't doesn't make any sense. But like, <laughs> it does make sense because that's you know the expression. So yeah. Yeah, I, I love a it. A fine choice, I think. Thank you. I, I just yeah. wanted to choose something that was, like, you know what I mean? I started to think of, like, what guitar solos were, and I was like, this one is yeah. so unique, and it always gets me pumped. So yeah. I really love this one. Yeah. Right on. You guys got. Jeffrey? Um, so when I was making my five choices, all I did was I sat and I thought, what five guitar solos come to me first? And that's my five, because I didn't have to do much thinking. These are ones that anytime someone talks about guitar solos, these are the ones I bring up. Uh, so my first pick is f- the song Peg by Steely Dan from 1977's Asia. And this was played by a session player, Jay Graydon. Um, it's played on ES335. It's using this compressor pedal that's not even really a pedal. It's like a jack that goes into the, the output of the guitar. It's this Dan Armstrong orange squeezer unit. And then you put that in the jack and then you put the cable into that. So that's what creates the sustain on this solo. Um, I like this song solo because it's there's no like licks in it, meaning like there's no gimmicks, there's no like things that you've really heard before in other songs. The song starts with this like double bend, like slidey Hawaiian steel sounding thing where it's like it's like all loopy and that goes straight into this bebop style like bebop blues type of licks there's this really crazy part where he does these chromatic with this open string pull off so it's like jesus it sounds like how it sax would play that's exactly i wrote that down in my notes i was like this solo is phrased like a jazz saxophone solo but played on the guitar that's i was so fascinated by that when I listened to it, it was like, oh, this is everything that I want from a jam band. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's like, you know what I mean? Like, like, it's like when you listen to jam bands, it just gets too much like gobbledygook nonsense. Yeah. But like with this one, you're like, oh, this is just really t- like a tasteful solo. Yeah. It gives you all the things that you want, but it's not, you know what I mean? It's it just, yeah. it's, it's, 
it's like you well oh no this this guy actually knows what he's playing and he'll play the same thing over and over again it's not just kind of like oh man i'm a couple hits deep man and like it just came to me like it's not like that it's like it's it's like a yeah. thought out idea and it's like executed so well yeah well, and the solo is exactly 30 seconds long mm-hmm. it's like there's no f- filler he and he and All he puts in no filler. he puts in like it's basically like four distinct sections in the thirty seconds. It's the loopy double stop slidey thing that goes into this like chromatic bebop thing that does this crazy flurry of blues. It's it's sex tuplets, so it's like and it's like twiddle fingers, and then it ends yeah. with this descending like yeah. I love the chromatic stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just I think it. It's a good solo because I think any good solo has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm. You know, it kind of like tells a story yeah. in that way, and that's what I really liked about this solo specifically. Yeah, I wrote that like um, because this song is like the ultimate pop tune. Mm. It's written as a pop tune. Like the solo kind of will slide by if you're not paying attention to it and not looking for it. It'll mm. slide by you without your ears taking offense to it. And it's so unlike any other guitar solo in that it is super jazzy. Mm. Like we said, it sounds like a saxophone. So it's everything like you were saying about great jazz fusion uh, guitar soloing built into a perfect pop song. Mm. And it'll pass over your ears every time if yeah. you're not paying attention to it. And that's why I think the solo works so well because it fits into the song so well. It's almost yeah. – um, what's that word? Uh, auspicious or- – or it just whatever that word is. It just seeps right into the song. Yeah. Yeah. And if you watch like the uh, classic albums, um, whatever documentary about the Asia album, they, Walter Beckett and Donald Fagan, they pull up the old tracks and they show you like what all these other different sessions guys did. Cause on Steely Dan stuff, they would bring in people and they'd be like, yeah, do this solo for the next two hours. Give us what you got. And then the next day they'd be like, yeah, scrap that. Let's go to someone else. Yeah. And so they show like six different guys version of it. And everybody else is doing this like kind of like this light beboppy jazzy thing. And then Jay Graydon is just they told him, just think blues. And he went, oh, fuck it. I'll just fucking throw something at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> See if you like this. And I love it. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy, too. Like you can watch a video of him playing and breaking down the solo on Tim Pierce's YouTube channel. And Jay Graydon's it, the time of the taping. He's, I would think, like at least late '60s, and he goes through it phrase by phrase and shows him slowed down, which is like that's the key. That I like melodic, thought out, planned, memorable solos. And he instead of going da 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 da, he goes da 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 da, and shows him like finger by finger. Yeah, I love it. Nice. Cool. I think it's the only solo he ever played on a Steely Dan song, too. Oh, really? Yeah, he went on to like be a producer for kind of like that jazz pop stuff that was big in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, I think he won a couple Grammys and all that stuff as a producer and engineer and like studio guy. But as far as Steely Dan goes, he said he played on sessions for other songs, but this is the only song where they kept his version. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh for my first pick. I went with something that I think you guys probably already could have seen coming. Um, it is the well. There's kind of let me break it down. So uh, the song "War Pigs," Black Sabbath from the album "Paranoid" came out in 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, something I didn't realize was that on it was only on the U.S. version where it was slashed to Luke's wall as being like that second sort of part to the song. On the U.K. version, it was just titled "War Pigs." Yeah. A lot of the tracks are like that. Yeah, and um, 
just a fun fact about the song. You get paid more. That's why. Oh, yeah. It's double the songs in the album. Yeah, yeah. So then double <laughs> oh. the songwriter credits. Uh-huh. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, no shit. They were like, these songs are too, like the U.S. guy was like, these songs are way too long. You got to chop them up so you get paid more. Yeah. Idiots. <laughs> you, you idiots. Um, yeah, uh, fun fact about the song. It was originally supposed to be called uh, Walpurgis, yep. uh, which is like an anti-witch holiday where it's like, it's kind of like the celebration and burning of witches, I guess you could say. It's tied into like a saint. It's, you know, there's there's kind of different interpretations of the holiday. Um, so the song itself is kind of thought to have been interpreted as a, as like an anti-war song. But it's actually not in the way that, like, I guess the way Geezer Butler described it was he was saying, like, it's the whole idea, like, generals gathered in their masses, just like wishes at black masses, that, like, it's trying to create this kind of, like, bridge that's that's kind of a, a, a song really about, like, evil itself, like, the evil of, like, the world and humanity and stuff like that. Um, but onto the important bits uh the solos now there's like two solos there's the solo that i guess you could consider part of the song war pigs and then where uh that so that starts at three minutes and 30 seconds and then there's the part that i like the most which is kind of this melodic line that starts at five minutes 50 seconds in and that's or i'm sorry six minutes and 30 seconds in uh luke's wall quote unquote starts at the five uh five fifty mark um and uh yeah, I just love these solos just because it's uh, you know, it's it's Tony Iommi kind of doing what he does best where you're getting these sort of kind of like jarring sort of double track guitars where there's kind of two things going on at the same time but it works, you know. Um I like how in the 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 solo like at the end is like the double track guitars and you're right that they drift off and one of them's louder than the other. Yeah. And then they meet up on um, at certain like um mm-hmm. melodic points. So I like how they like. I love listening to this uh, song in headphones because you yeah. get both guitars like jamming this crazy thing, and then they meet back up together, and they separate again, and then they meet back up, and they separate again. Right, right. It creates these crazy ebb and flows. Yeah, and I love it. My and favorite I- part of the first, like what I consider the solo. I don't consider the outro the solo, but when the solo is about to end and go back into a verse, and he does the do 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 that kind of riff where the strings are kind of both clanging at the same time it creates this cool dissonance yeah i like that part yeah and uh so in terms of his setup too it's the 1960s uh gibson sg special uh i was trying to like dig deep and figure out what the actual rig was as far as i got was it was the yeah the 60s gibson sg special which was not his chosen guitar we've talked about the the first sabbath album before and really he tried to record that first album with a strap but he had some issues with oh. i think the pickups like a pickup died or something and that's why he had the sg as his backup um and he was using laney amps as well which was kind of different at the time because everyone was using high watt or uh or uh marshall stacks or you know you had the occasional like vox you know or like the fender like the deluxe reverbs and all that but he did the he had the Laney amps and then he had the uh, Range Master treble boost, which I think that treble booster was really made famous by Eric Clapton on the John Mayall on the Blues Breakers album because that's what he had used to the treble boost. Uh, and what's unique about his tone and really I think just the band as a whole was like they were one of the first bands that went into the studio and and turned everything up to maximum volume in studio, you know, so. Um, and in terms of his EQs, the trebles, 
the the treble mid the, and the presence and the volume were all on ten, but he completely got rid of all the bass, mm. which is kind of you know it's kind of interesting. And the fact that he was using like super super light gauge strings, you know, there's this kind of like assumption that like you need super heavy gauge strings to give like a girth or a heaviness to a guitar <laughs> tone, but it's very it is false, man. Like some of these guys were using. Uh, banjo strings because they didn't make light enough gauge strings on their guitars. So it just goes to show you, man. It's 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 in the hands and like your the EQs and how you dial in your tone. It's not really necessarily. Well, you have to wear the upside you know. down crucifix too to get the tone. Right, right. Well, yes. I mean, Satan has to bless you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Certain gifts. <laughs> Certain gifts. You know, and not for nothing. I mean, those for those who don't know. Yeah, I mean, Tony Iommi had like the 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 tips of his fingers cut off. In an unfortunate uh, uh, garden accident, accident. <laughs> schmelding, schmelting accident, you know. So this whole solo was basically played with like, uh, like, like uh, uh, clips from a leather jacket that he super glued onto his mangled fingers, you know, which which gave him a different touch and a different feel. And that's where it's like, you know, like the birth of heavy metal is kind of. Coming, it kind of came from a man getting his uh, the front of his fingers uh, chopped off in a steel uh, steel factory in Birmingham, England. You know, so you know, so it's interesting. But I would definitely say like the Luke's wall part, the outro, that like I just that melody, that line, I just it gets me every time, man. I just think it's just so good, and I think Tony Iommi, even though he can obviously he solos really well. He's one of those that, as a guitar player, he can really give you those, like, single note lines that's just so good, you know? He doesn't really just rely solely on, like, chugging on power chords, you know? He can give you a line, and it's still just as heavy, even though it's single notes at a time, rather than, you know? So, so yeah. War Pigs. Black Sabbath. Right on. And Tony Iommi. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go for a complete uh, change up here. Um, and I'm going to go also with like another kind of unconventional, I guess, guitar solo. So we're going to go with George Harrison's, uh, Wah Wah off the album, All Things Must Pass from 1970. Um, George Harrison plays the slide solo. Um, Clapton, I think is also on that track and he's playing like, um, some other stuff in there, but I'm focusing on the slide solo. Um, so this is, it starts, um at three minutes and seven seconds into the song and lasts for about 58 seconds Mm -hmm. around there um it has like the sax thing Mm -hmm. before like right before like the slide comes in so it's like a saxophone introduction that i think is double tracked with clapton's guitar yeah because it almost sounds like harmonica with the two together right and Mm -hmm. it's very hard to tell because of the massive amounts of reverb on this record oh it's soaked it's so hard to figure out like what's even playing so um also i can't wait for this reissue to come out soon so we might hear this album uh again more uh de-reverbed produced by convicted murderer phil Phil that's right convicted murderer (laughs) and uh thank god he's dead phil specter Thank um, God he's dead. Rest in pieces. Well, yeah, you don't want you don't want that dude ruining anyone anyone else's life. Yeah, um, I'm glad that I mean the, every time I listen to All Things Must Pass, the mix is even more thick and hazy. But I'm glad the solo cuts through everything that's going on. Right. Yeah. Because this solo is yeah. it's a cool solo. Yeah. So um again, so the first one I did was like a wall solo, and this solo is a slide solo. Mm. Yep. Um George Harrison's uh, really famous for his slide playing. And, um, again, like, I think in, like, the modern day, too, like, his slide playing gets, like, 
kind of lost in people's, you know, whatever. I mean, the Beatles are so famous, but to be like George Harrison was one of the best slide players of all time. Yeah, that's not something you hear. Well, he's in so, cir- you know, in circles. His uh, solo playing is unique because it's not really blues based, though it is. Um, and he takes like melodic um, lines with the slide. Um, I really like this because um, it kind of. Um, you know, has like a play on the melody, and it's it's very melodic. You know, because he's going, um, so I really like that whole th- part of it. He's like playing on like the melody line, uh, with the guitar and doing all these great melodic things. Um, my favorite part of the solo though is when um, like the the chords start to change and go up, like yeah. the to the down 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 ba down ba down and get into the bridge part with the horns underneath and yeah, stuff, yeah george takes his slide and goes like and like slides the whole thing up with the band and it creates this huge flush with like all the reverb and it just pushes the solo yeah. into this like intense moment where it kind of just plays out and then spirals out on these like great slide um bends back into um you know what i think another chorus after that um but i just really love this because it's melodic it's super weird sounding and slidey mm. um this song is already like a bunch of like chump 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 yeah, like just right. rattling and shaking and this solo over it is just so like kind of like sparsed out and airy mm. yeah. compared to the rest of it even yeah. though it's covered in reverb and that's i really think it's unique sounding yeah and like what jeff said too i it is good that it that it does cut through because when you're dealing with that amount of reverb, it's so easy for everything to just get washed out and just kind of like turn into just like a wall of noise, you know? So And like Jeff was saying too, like when he made his list, like he was like, what are the five I can think of off the top of my head that I just like? Yeah. And because I think that's like more of like a what ones do you hear? And you're like, oh, that guitar solo kicks because like I can think of kicking guitar solos, but the mm. ones that affected me the most, this was one of them because yeah. I was like, I notice it every time and it like gets me like really amped to hear it, mm. yeah. especially the cl- the climb in is like the the reason why I like it so much. The climb back into the bridge with the horns. Yeah. I, yeah. I like when the horns come in. It's not like he's playing. He still gives everything its space because the horns do the and then he just does that like very typical slide thing of just like like clanging between yeah, the notes yeah. and, and letting the slide shake and just filling back. in the space. Yeah, it comes back up and it goes boom boom boom. Yeah, like yeah. in between the horn lines. So he's just yeah. he's he's doing a blues thing where give them the space and then call and response of it yeah Yeah. but i like that it it doesn't sound like it's not like canned heat you know what i mean like it's Mm. not this sort of like down and dirty southern blues slide it's like so clean and concise and like beautiful and it's more of a focus on like the melt because pop it's pop music right right it's It's, it's, a slide guitar putting a pop idiom and it works so well yeah that's what i mean yeah because it's not that like call me an idiom it's not it's not like that down and dirty like gritty sort of like southern blues uh, slide stuff you know what I mean it's it's so just like beautiful and the tones are amazing and the reverb just works and like yeah I just I like you said I, I, I love how he he solos with the slide over the chord changes and he it, it works so well like he does it so good you know he doesn't just kind of like do that lazy thing where he like hangs back and he just keeps it in the same thing like there's movement in the music and like he has a good ear to like put movement in the solo with the music rather than just like hanging back on the, you know, yeah. on the root. Yeah. You put this, you put this on your list 
And just reading down the list, I was like, wow. I'm like, wow has a guitar solo. But then I played the song. I'm like, oh yeah, it's because it's it's a lead it's a lead instrument, but it's not like it's not wanking around. You know, it's not like fucking. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. not. It's not like uh, it's there. Ex- it has its minute. Excuse my language, but it's not uh, rock out with your cock out. Right. It's yeah. like it's it, but it is rocking. But yeah. it's like rocking in like this so weird. It's a weird solo. It's like yeah. one again one that I feel like. If uh, the guitar player is doing his job, and that you don't hear it if you're not listening for yeah. it, because it just plays, Runs it in. plays right into the Fits song. It's the song. Yep. Yeah. So my second pick, um, sticking with songs that I just like, simple, melodic, memorable, sh- on the shorter side. Uh, my second pick is "Sister Christian" by Night Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> Sister Christian from 1983's Midnight Madness. Um, Sister uh, Night Ranger was one of those bands in the late seventies, early eighties, where they, it was kind of like a bunch of dudes who like did studio stuff and were like kind of big shots in their own thing, came together and joined forces to make a band. So they're like a band lost to time, but they had a couple big hits, and this was their biggest hit by far. Um, the solo on this is played by Brad Gillis. It's thirty eight seconds long. Um, this the solo is like it's. It is fully a guitar solo, but it is all pretty much like these long, long, long notes. Yeah. It's more of a mood. It's like these sweeping long. It's like goes. And it's, he has all these like octave harmonics that just come in because of the sustain on the notes. So some reasons why this solo sounds the way it sounds. So, Brad Gillis was playing a Fender Strat, an early 60s Strat, with a Floyd Rose locking tremolo system, which in 1983, you think that was huge. It wasn't, I mean, a lot of people started using them by 83. Brad Gillis, Floyd Rose made the locking tremolo system in like 76, 77. Brad Gillis's guitar had serial number four Floyd Rose. So that's the kind of player this dude was, where it's like, I didn't know his name really but like he played on a ton of sessions shit in the like late 70s um and so early floyd rose locking tremolo which helps you use the whammy bar instead of bending notes with your fingers that's why you're going wow wow," and these sweeping because he's just doing these dips and stuff with the bar and it stays perfectly in tune um the reason why the sustain is so like full and it does all these crazy harmonics is the way he recorded this was he sat in the in the control room with his guitar and they had a long cable going into like the recording booth they had a mesa boogie cranked to 10 (laughs) so blaring and then they fed what was playing they mic'd that and then they fed it through loudspeakers back into the control room so he's playing along and hearing what he's what he's playing but because the speakers are so loud, pickups pick up sound. Yep. And so the pickups were picking up his own playing and causing this feedback loop to happen, which is why when he would hold a note, it would randomly go into these like octave and double octave harmonics. And sometimes he would do this thing where he'd hold a note and you just like literally like tippy tap the Floyd Rose thing. And it's like dropping a stone on a lake and you just see all the the waves go because that's yeah. what it does to the sound. It just creates these harmonics. Um, so I, I just love it because it's not this like kind of 
Eddie Van Halen style thing. It's just melodic, is swooping, sweeping, and then he ends with this like blaze of glory, like like at yeah. the end it had, but he saves it it had it has like that the great uh the the minor fall yeah. into the major lift up right, right. Yeah. yeah that's what i noted i was like the solo is great yeah. i'm like in songs like this like i'm such a sucker for it's and i only noticed it after uh the letter uh leonard cohen song mm. where he like literally notes the what he's singing right. And I'm like, oh mm. man! Like tons of songs have that, and it's like a, a it's like a device that you yeah. use to like ev- evoke emotion. Mm-hmm. And I wrote like mm-hmm. like you said too, like the um the dives. That was like the first thing I noted. I was like, oh, it starts with the great '80s like dives. Like in. you hear the pick <laughs> like cut in. He yeah, was using stainless man. steel picks, and his amps. The treble was all. Treble and presence were all on ten. Yep. So that means it's just this biting. But like the the majority of the song is just long notes, and he's using the tremolo arm, so he's not rearticulating the notes, so you don't hear this the high pinginess of it. But when he digs in, it just like cuts like a knife. Yeah, I wrote uh, solo starts with bends and uh, whammy dives, melodic transfer, my uh, ma- uh, minor fall, major lift. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yep. Yeah, I loved it. It's I, such I a also perfect. 80s power ballad solo yeah. did you like i felt like this song too as like the 80s power ballad like was standing high above all the other ones i could like think of off the top of my head too you know what i mean yeah because it doesn't it doesn't seem like i don't know maybe it was maybe it wasn't but it just doesn't seem forced in the way that all the you know what i mean because i think there was a point where it was like yeah. once the 80s power ballad became a thing right everyone was doing it like they're just like checking a box off like oh we did our power ballad but this one sounds genuine it sounds like it's you know what I mean? Like, it's thought out. It's not just like, oh, well, I guess we got to do a power ballad now. What year yeah. did this come out? 83. 83, so it's pretty early for that, too. I think the only other song that kind of is reminiscent of this, because a lot of power ballads, like, when you get to the chorus, they just, like, throw 10 layers of guitars on it. And this still, like, the verses is just piano and singing, and then it goes, dun, 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 dun. And even when it chugs back in, it just sounds like two guitars just doing long yeah. chord. Yeah. It's, um, the other song that it reminds me of is uh, what's the big, what's the David Cover bit Coverdale band? David oh. Coverdale, yeah, uh, um, uh, White uh, Snake. No, Snake. Oh, White Snake. Here, White Snake. I, here I go. go. Okay. It, it's like in that category because the verses is like kind of piano yeah. and simple, just oh, yeah. singing. I guess so. But this song, like this song, sounds like a band that was all like studio session dudes. Because yeah. there's no filler in this song. Maybe in some of their other songs, it's schlocky or whatever. I haven't listened to Night Ranger. Um, but yeah, I love this song. I, I know it, it very well because it's featured prominently in one of my favorite movies, Boogie Nights, in like a very famous scene. It's like fully in the background. And the lead, the, the main character in the scene is like singing along to the song. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. And for the guitar solo to come. And like, <laughs> yeah. it's like this big thing. Um, yeah, I, I love and I always mention this song when people say your favorite guitar solo songs, and I always say this, and people always give me this face like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Well, I thought you liked music. It's like well, it's what they tell me, and I'm like, "Yo, man, you gotta listen to this solo." This yo, solo when you is... put this on the list, I was like, "What the fuck, man?" Yeah, not for nothing. I had the same reaction. But like, then, the but then really? I was like, because it was you, I was like, it has to have some kind of thing. And then the first note I wrote was, uh, "I like this song way more than I thought I did." <laughs> yeah. Like I think I hate it, but then it starts playing, yeah. and I. Get all like sentimental. For and it comes it. in yeah. late. It's like three and a half minutes into the song, and but yeah. again, the great it's, chorus. It's, it's thirty-seven, thirty-eight seconds long, so yeah. it's like 
even though it's a lot of long notes, you feel like it might go on forever. It's fuck. It's over before you even know it. Yeah. Weird music video too. Oh, I've never seen the music. It's video. like they're outside, like in a church. <laughs> of course, is, is it like in the, black I, and white? Is I it just, at dusk? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're like on like the church steps. It's a lot of purple lighting. Something weird's happening. <laughs> Somehow the moon is a fluorescent pink color. <laughs> no, no way. Uh, well, to harken back to what Luke said about the Wawa solo, it's not rock out with your cock out. Let's move on to rocking out oh, with your cock out because my next pick is uh, about to run to the hills. Is about. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Led Zeppelin, Since oh, I've Been yeah. Loving You. Um, it was recorded, well, the, so there were three, they played three nights at Madison Square Garden in the U, uh, their 1973 uh, U.S. tour. Uh, this was pulled from one of the three Madison Square Garden gigs. Uh, it was recorded July 27th to, through the 29th, 1973. Uh, and something that's interesting that I read about it, which I did not realize, is that this song is not on the original track listing for the album the original pressing of the album that this song and i want to say like i think black dog dazed and confused maybe there was a couple of songs that were only added to the track listing of on the uh 2007 reissue it must have been a time thing huh yeah probably the song's almost nine minutes long yeah 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 probably um, but I didn't believe it for a minute, and then I like I went into like I went to my you know records and I pulled out "Song Remains the Same" and I was like, oh shit, yeah, that's not on here. What? Like it, it, I was, but I think it was because the so it was featured in the film "The Song Remains the Same," but it just wasn't featured on the album itself when they released the album. And like I said, it was you know it came out um, uh, two thousand seven. Uh, it was produced by Eddie Kramer. Recorded and produced by Eddie Kramer. For people who don't know, Eddie Kramer Bum. produced like Jimmy, the likes of Jimi Hendrix, the Rolling Stones, the Woodstock album, the Woodstock engineered, album. not produced, engineered. Which sorry. some would say, much more important job. Yes. Uh, so the solo comes in at around the four minute mark. It's a minute and fifteen seconds long. And uh, the thing I like about the solo is it's <sighs> all right. I've had this conversation with people before, and like I love Jimmy Page, but I don't think that Jimmy Page is like the best you know what i mean like i love him he's the best jimmy page though he That's is the best yeah i guess playing. you're right yeah i guess you're right Nobody he is the best jimmy page like and it's well. true and let me and i'll say this as being a guitar player and being somebody who like you know in the very beginning of my guitar playing tried to emulate a lot of guitar players jimmy page is really hard to emulate man and not even not even it's from hard a tone to look, perspective it's hard to look cool and play off key yeah. <laughs> and out and like out of time and tune like yeah, like, <laughs> and, and but dude. I mean, in a good way. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I say the, all those things of love. It's the sorcerer pants, I think, that really help him. Get oh, I thought through. it was more of a matador look. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fetch me my wizard pants. It's a, it's uh yeah, it's like a matador meets middle ages kind of thing he has going on. Yeah, you. I mean, you can't. You really can't replicate his sound. He's, it's so he's hard. one of the biggest ones that because. He he's not consistent when he's doing up or down picking. He's sloppy on purpose. He purposely yeah. puts shit behind the beat or like tries to cram in five notes where only three fit and stuff yeah. like that. And, and I think I I don't think any of that's possible without the rhythm section because you have to have right. John Paul Jones and John Bonham like really holding just the foundation of the song together so that way Robert Plant and Jimmy Page can just kind of go off to wherever the hell they're going half the time. That's why I like this one in particular because yeah. this is a slow blues, right? Which means he has a lot of space to to be weird with the space because yeah. it's just John Paul Jones is just holding down keyboard chords. Yeah. Long notes and bottom's just doom, doom, 
And it's the classic. It's the you know it's the classic uh, UK guitar setup. It's the 1959 Gibson Les Paul that he bought from Joe Walsh for five hundred dollars. Hey man, hey man. Uh, through me four hundred of those five hundred dollars, man. Through uh, a Marshall, you know, like the classic sort of Marshall fifty watt amp kind of setup, and I th- and I think effects wise, the only thing he used he had a Maestro Echoplex, which is like a delay preamp. This is, I think, before the Echoplex actually became a, an effects pedal. It was one of those things that it was, like, sat on top of the amp. Uh, one place where you can really hear it shine is uh, Dazed and Confused when he's, like, playing with the bow. Echoplex? Echoplex, bom, bom, yeah. Bom, 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 bom. I'm going to talk about another effect unit later. It has a similar name. Um, and, uh, of course, the Crybaby it was another one of the pedals that he used probably the most. But um, But I just, I love the way that the solo even comes in because it's kind of like... You know, it's a slow blues, and I think this song, what they do so well is, like, their use of, like, dynamics in this song. They can yeah. go loud, and they can go soft, and it's kind of this back and forth. And, you know, there's kind of, like, this tension building throughout the song, and then, like, it goes quiet, and then all of a sudden, Jimmy Page just... And he just comes in, just so, like, roasting hot. Uh, and he does these great sort of, like, you know, quick licks, and then... You know, he does these, like, really nice, you know, minor blues pentatonic uh, melodic lines, too. And it's just, like, it's kind of, it's you know, it's it's Zeppelin blues. So it's not necessarily true to, like, a real blues format. They kind of do their own thing with it, especially with this t- song. But, um, but yeah, I just, I love Page's playing on this. I love Jimmy Page's playing on this entire album. I mean, it's 1973, so it's, like, Led Zeppelin at, like, the height of Led Zeppelin. You know, I mean, they sold out Madison Square Garden three nights in a row you know so that's that's definitely something you know um but yeah i just um you know again jimmy page probably not one of my most favorite guitar players but he plays some of my most favorite solos i'll say that you know give up give maybe one or whatever what's your reasoning for this live choice versus the record version I like the record version, but I when I listen to Led Zeppelin, I almost always prefer live. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't get me wrong. Like I love the sound of the studio albums. I think that they're done obviously like really, really well. But there's just something about like the energy in this show, too. I mean, it's not you know, we're talking about maybe like another great, you know, another obviously great Led Zeppelin song, but like you get like in, in Stairway to Heaven, you know, when, when Robert Plant's like, does anybody remember laughter? Like you get this kind of like crowd interaction thing that's going on too. And 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 uh, I think Robert Plant does that kind of like, you know, like his harrowing screams and shrills and shrieks and stuff like that. Like he he's definitely way more, you know, liberal with how many times he does that in the live setting. And it's just like, you know, I love it. I just, you know, I, I feel you. I like it, too, because like Zeppelin lies becomes live becomes this like big giant, at least in like that time period, like um jammy, super jammy, psychedelic monster. Where it's like yeah. every song is just like a suggestion, and then it's a jam, and yeah. then like on this song it becomes like a bunch of like it's so psychedelic because of the length and just the the way he's soloing the blues over this like really lengthy you know what I mean like drawn out blues number that's like yeah. you know ebbs and flows with time and structure yeah it's just that it's that like it's that different approach to jam music in that way it's so not like the grateful dead way of jamming you know what i mean it's just yeah. like it's jamming but it's like extended cut versions of of well thought out songs rather than i mean not that the dead don't do that like i i love everybody knows i love the grateful dead but 
But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just, I love how there's like, there are explorations, but every song kind of holds its own weight in the way of being a, like, kind of like a pop rock song. Like every song can kind of hold up in that sense. And like, in like the, the rock pop sort of lists, how, you know? How much, how, so I didn't listen to the studio cause you only put the live on the list. Are there some lines or licks or stuff that are shared in the two versions or is the live pretty much just starting from scratch blank slate? no 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 it's I mean, they're, they're very five similar. second type of moments and yeah, stuff? yeah yeah the, like okay. the, like T- some of the some touch of the zones landmarks yeah and... yeah some of the okay. melodic sort of yeah. like guitar lines that he puts in the solo yeah. are this are similar in both but then he also kind of goes off a little bit yeah. and does his own thing here and there <laughs> Um, but I also love like the interactions between like like you can tell that John Bonham is listening to what Jimmy Page is doing because he'll then like start accenting on stuff that Jimmy Page is doing, you know, like whether they're subtle or they're like right out in the open, like, mm-hmm. you know, so you can hear that even though Jimmy Page is clearly like the lead player, mm-hmm. uh, you still you still know that like the band is listening to what he's doing and like they're kind of like there's a conversation happening they're kind of vibing off of each other and i really really like that you know so so yeah check it out right on guy i don't think i pick any live ones i didn't i did not um okay so i'm up next here i'm going to choose uh i chose a clapton song cream I'm going to go, I Feel Free. Um, The first song off their debut album. I love it. Um, It's The solo is 33 seconds long and starts at a minute and 15 seconds into the song. Thank God. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, reasons I like the solo. Um, It's highly affected. Like, it's affected with a lot of, like, um, uh, color, like, uh, effect Mm -hmm. on it. Um, it's one of the earliest, I think, double-tracked solos that I can, like, hear on records. Um, I like it because the rhythm of the song is going, like, and when the solo kicks in, um, it's these long, like, held-out notes that are just, like, um, and they're kind of just, um, like, slide over that, like, pulsating, and they hang in the air over it. Um, it's pretty effective. It uh, sounds really psychedelic, but incredibly blues-based. Like, if you played it with no effects on it, it would sound like a regular blues solo on a regular blues song. Um, but I just like the, um, like the as Clapton has said, like the polka dot-affected blues um, of it. And I really love the, the guitar tone is why I love Yeah, the tone so is... The yeah. tone is why I love this yeah. solo well, so much. The, it's not really guy. like the playing... Like the even like the phrase, I mean, mm. I guess it's somewhat the phrasing mm. of it, but it's all that tone, and especially the double track, what I think is double track guitar together. Is it, was he playing the fool on this track? I think this is that still yeah. that era where he's 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 using the SG. Fool, the Gibson SG neck pickup, no tone on the guitar. It's the woman tone. Yeah. So you get that that just muffled like. So yeah. it's fuzzed out, but it's like there's no hiss in the fuzz. One might say it's a bit creamy sounding. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and this this would be like the prime example of Eric Clapton's <laughs> woman tone. Yeah. That, oh uh, yeah. There's a video on YouTube if you want to look up Eric I would, Clapton I would, describing it. I. It. This is a solo where it's so close to being everything I want that I like it even less. That he starts every. Fr- he. Ugh, there's four phrases in the solo. Three of the four phrases he starts on a note. 
that is so out of tune because there's two there's oh, harmony sour. vocals going on, and he he picks and it's not a I mean you could call it a blues note I guess it is he's, jazz baby he's trying I think he's attempting or he's fretting a note that should line up with to be in tune with the two vocals and it's just like oh, it's slightly sharp of yeah. what he intends and then it settles and you're like oh. but uh, the thing I, I, I like that's about, just me the thing I like about <laughs> it though is it is so of the year you know what I mean what I mean what yeah, year is this 66. this is 66 yeah. it sounds so 1966 you know it's like that sort of like it's yeah. the same way like where like uh, Pete Townsend would give you kind of like that's what it sounds like it know, sounds like yeah. a who song yeah, right. Because it's right. like that teeny boppy. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, but, but it's, it's with the. It's almost Middle Easterny kind yes. of sounding. Yeah, right. That's what, yeah, yeah. So like the yeah the choices the scales that he's using in it and stuff. It's just it to me it just screams like summer of love late 60s like even though that wasn't obviously the summer of love but you know what i'm trying to say like it's the precursor that would give you sort of like that vibe of the 1960s i think he was purposely on the song not trying to play a blues solo let's say still using bluesy kind of phrases yeah but definitely going more for that psychedelic rock vanilla fudge you know kind of whatever i mean vanilla fudge was like the next year i think but still it's like you know, he was known as playing blues, blues, and this is kind of like a weird bend on the blues. But it's like when you say, like, oh, when I listen to The Doors, it just sounds so much like that time. Yeah, right, right. You know, like, I feel like this has that quality to it, too. Like, it's just so clearly that yeah. time and place and sound, you know? I like it, too. Uh, you were saying, like, it's like that first note is even, like, a bit, like, off pitch mm-hmm. to the, what they're playing. Even to, like, the song, though, I feel free. It's, like, mm-hmm. somewhat freeing to hear a solo break out of that and be like, what the, f- what is this? Because yeah. it sounds so bonkers when it comes out. It just really shoots straight out of the song. Mm-hmm. Like, wow! Like, note, you know? Simple, memorable, and 35 the, seconds yep. in a minute and 50 second song you yep. know it's, yes that's the whole yeah. you know short sweet to the point and it's it is really only four phrases and it's the same same phrasing but he just brings it up in the scale a little bit then yeah. brings it up in the scale a little bit then brings it up in his so it's you know hummable memorable yeah right on jeffrey all right my next pick is oh an old classic from acdc's 1980 album back in black oh yeah it's the song let me put my love into you (laughs) um we're not gonna talk about the lyrical content of this song um lots of we would call them double entendres if they weren't so singularly (laughs) focused on one thing we'll call them single yeah there's no way of being like there's various ways to interpret this let me shoot you with my gun etc etc but anyway this solo is Angus Young playing lead. It's 42 seconds long. It's Angus Young playing his 1970 Gibson SG with the PF Humbuckers. Uh, 100 watt Marshall cranked to the max in the studio. Uh, boosted mids. Like his EQ on this is like two on the bass, eight on the mids, I think two on the treble. Um, the key to the sound, which which was recently discovered in the past couple of years, or redis- rediscovered, I should say, was that live he was using this wireless system and he also used it in the studio with Mutt Lang who produced this album. So using this wireless system, instead of like having a cable into the guitar, into your amp, this it was the Schaefer Vega wireless system, which contained a circuit that had a compressor and expander in it, which increased the dynamic range of the total sound 
to over 100 decibels in the, in the studio, which is like a mid-sized airplane. Is, I think, a, um, and it's also 35 decibels louder than any other wireless system at the time could could like emit because of FCC regulations. <laughs> so it just it had this like crazy. So it's a it's a crazy volume boost, but when you're not actually harnessing all that volume of it it just harnesses like this sizzle in the tone that like pushes everything in the amp more uh so that's why he has this just like when he wants to be cutting and crisp it just like hacks right through you um i love this song because it starts with this low like and that goes to it's like slicing and dicing right out of the gate um, he goes into very bluesy, like he does those. I call them like Chuck Berry groups of three, where it's yep. the. Um, he ends it so like how Luke brought up you have and Mike brought up where you have to have a beginning, middle, and end, and he ends this where he goes. He's at the highest part of the pentatonic scale, and he goes. He goes down the pentatonic to this low. And then the the chorus comes back in and again. Um, yeah, I just like even if this solo stopped after the first ten seconds of the solo, this would still be my top five. Because yeah. that just the build with the rhythm, and I think the way the solo really can cut is because he pairs with his brother Malcolm because he's going dun, 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 dun. and Malcolm's part is dun dun dun. I know Luke's laughing because these are probably in Luke's notes about you like literally wrote I wrote Chuck Berry to the nth degree. <laughs> this this solo only works because the rhythm is so hunky and it dances about yeah. into the the hunky rhythm. Yep. Thank you. So yeah, en- I, I, enough so from like, me. You guys can give your thoughts. I mean, this is like I back in black. Every I think it's nine songs. Everyone's a classic. This song. I mean, you know, the Me Too content of the lyrics aside, the guitar solo I, is easily my favorite on the album well again too like something you didn't bring up i think this is well maybe a little bit in sense of loving you but this is one of the first very sexually charged guitar solos mm. right so using it in like a, a um that that way yeah, yeah. as like the literal cock rock yeah. guitar solo yeah which is like a solo in and of itself because it's that like extension of like um i guess in this point like the male like it's so swaggering it's like you know it's coming from a dude who's like five foot three and he's wearing a schoolboy outfit (laughs) dance running around the stage and it's like i'm if you play this song and you put it on real sound system and you listen to that first 20 seconds of this guitar solo your head will get chopped off it's like so oh it's amazing and angus young too he's one of those guitar players where it's like i just i'm never sick of hearing him play no like it's like every single no. Angus Young solo I'm like fuck yeah you know yeah. like I feel like I should be like rolling down the street in like a T-top Camaro yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean and leaving like, you wanting more yeah right right 30 right. you know his solos generally are 40 seconds or less yeah he doesn't overdo it to the point so that way when you are listening to ACDC you really look forward to the solos right. you're not like oh here's another fucking solo and he doesn't you know? repeat licks in songs because he he you know because yeah. it's all blues it's Every ACDC song kind of has a format, but... Well, I wrote, too, that, like, ACDC are a rock and roll band, but they really took the roll out mm. of rock and roll. Like, Chuck Berry rolled. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it has that rolling. They took the roll out. So when the solo kicks in, you can be much more precise 
and stab and yeah. stab and yeah. stab. They're like the most well done meat and potatoes band that's yeah. ever been, I think. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Just tone, man. Tone and choices and like it's blues, so it's like licks that you could expect to hear on other songs, but like it just sounds so fresh. Yeah. When you string it all together, like all the things he does on the solo, which is um, for my third pick, I'm going to get a little bit on the heavier side here. Uh, if we're talking about guitar gods, uh, you can't leave out Dimebag Daryl. He's oh, one of the yes. guys who's like, you know, I mean, he's, oh my God, he's just like, he's the just most a, underrated guitar player of my lifetime, I think. Oh yeah, probably. I mean, if you talk to guitar player circles, you know, like everybody, like those who know, know, you know what I mean? But, yeah. um, you know, uh, the song I picked was Domination, um, which is off of what people think is the first Pantera album, but it's actually the fourth, fourth. studio album by Have Pantera. Have you listened to early ones? Yeah, it's pretty like, whoa, you know. What do you know about power metal, bro? That's right. Well, that, and that's the thing is it's like, you know, they were, they were. so, And that's what I love about this album because I find that it really is truly like, a, oh, okay, now we know, our, now we know what lane yeah. we sit in. Now we know, you know, because, I mean, you know, we're, we've been talking about you know, like how ACDC is pulling from like the Chuck Berries and this and that. I mean, Pantera is, they're considered like the groove metal gods. They're a metal band that can swing, you know what I mean? And it's kind of that nice blend between like the groove and the swing uh, meets like Van Halen. You know, you have a similar setup where Van Halen, you have Alex Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, and Pantera, you have Dimebag Daryl, and you have Vinnie Paul. You know, these two brothers who are just like a force to be reckoned with. I mean, Rex as well as on bass and then obviously Phil Anselmo on vocals. But this song specifically, I think that this song might be the first instance of like the breakdown as we know it today. Mm. Don't get me wrong. You're talking I mean, about right after the solo? Yeah, like dun 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 like it's just it's so heavy and so like just in your face. And if you want to 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 really witness a spectacle for this song, there's a famous live version of this tune where they played in I think it was Moscow at like a um at an airfield. Fifty thousand people at this show. And it was one of the big opportunities that kind of like put them on the map because they were offered this gig to open up for ACDC promoting the Razor's Edge album and uh, Metallica, you know. So this was kind of a golden opportunity for them. Uh, and Dimebag Daryl specifically, too. I mean, we were talking earlier about like the Floyd Rose system. Talk about somebody who completely perfected yeah. the art of sort of like bending these crazy sort of harmonic notes and stuff. I mean, Dimebag Daryl may be the king of the dive bomb. Like the like that kind of thing. But it's going going from somewhere to somewhere else on purpose. Right, right. It's not just making noises. Right, that's what I mean. I mean, there were moments where he was just making noises for sure, you know, that were uh, induced by a lot of Crown Royal. (laughs) But, but, um... But that's the thing is that it's it's you can you kind of can't help but like be in awe of the massive amount of talent that he had as a guitar player because of the fact that like you know they're not all style and no substance there is a lot of substance there like they're so incredibly talented you know from Vinnie Paul to Dimebag Daryl to even Phil Anselmo like if you listen to recordings especially on Cowboys from Hell like uh, Cemetery Gates. I mean, he hits some notes, dude. Like, he, you know, like, his voice, he actually has a really good voice. He would come to be known as sort of, like, the growling, sort of, like, aggressive kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, in terms of Dimebag soloing, it's it's just blistering fast. 
but he also gives you some like nice melodic lines. Everything has a there's like we said like there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. You know, he builds, he gives you everything you want out of the solo. Um, and his setup was unique in the way that like. You know, he had the classic 1981 D. It's called the Dean from Hell. It's a Dean ML. It's kind of a cross between an Explorer and a flying V guitar. But uh, his rig was interesting because, you know, we're talking metal. We're talking coming out of that sort of tradition where it's just these big, super, super loud tube-driven amplifiers. And he ran solid-state amps for a long time. Uh, and, yeah, his, his it's the Randall RG100H solid state amp he would go on to i think end up uh being uh endorsed by crank amplifiers which they were a tube driven amp but um but yeah it's just his his tone itself is like that iconic like scoop mids no mids no yeah well yeah (laughs) (laughs) pretty much no mids yeah uh, you know, if you want another example of like the nomads, you know, you can listen to like Master of Puppets and Justice for All is another great That's example. One. That's the one where it's like there are no mids because they but came they out were within using... a year or two of each other. Yeah, yeah, but but and Justice for All, they were using Mesa Boogie amps, whereas right. this was complete solid state. And it's it's interesting because you know when you talk to guitar players in the guitar circles, it's kind of like solid states are kind of like the bastard amps. Like that's like no, you don't want a solid state, you want to go tube. And for most, of the, I mean. That's a pretty justifiable argument in that way. Like tube amps are probably going to give you the most desired sound, but um, but, but yeah, it's just for so different. Sizzle, it's... Yeah, and that's what it was. It's just yeah. sizzle searing hot. It it like his his tone reminds me of like a searing hot cast iron pan. You know, like when you uh, drop water on a really hot pan, it just like it just like disperses and just his like... tone to me. So that, like this solo and a lot of his solos, it reminds me of like a Kawasaki Ninja. Mm. Cause and that's what he does on these songs. He he does a solo. So this solo is well, like forty five seconds long, maybe. Yeah. It's and not super for the long. first like twenty seconds, it's very much a certain tone, and then he kind of like cranks it into a different gear with a different kind of overdrive or something on it, and it goes to a different place, and then like he finishes it on its other one. So it has like varying levels of treble and gain and like sizzle and like f- distortion. Because yeah. I guess not fuzz, but like distortion. So it has this like revving effect because. He's very much, this is their fourth album, so they were around in the mid-80s, and they were playing, like, thrashy, like, groove-down halftime thrash meets a kind of hair metal sound, because Phil was singing a lot at the time. And you can hear it, because he does all, he does the long notes, the long dives, he does tappy shit through it. He does, he's like, ramping up, but... I just love how it's always like there's different gears and different like. Well, it's it always sounds like he's like starting a chainsaw, right? You know what I mean? It's always this like, like it's just very distinct, brutal. You can can tell it's him because of that because he does these like different shifts to new sounds throughout the solo, right? Right, and just yeah, so aggressive and so in your face and unapologetic and like uh, it's just so good. And I love the solo that he does over the breakdown too, especially when you listen to the live cut. It's cool because like. On the studio album, the, the he overdubs. There's overdub guitars, right, you know. Right. So the guitar will be it does the like, but like when you listen to the live cut, especially like the one from Moscow, it's cool because like the guitar that part cuts out because he's soloing. So all you hear is Rex on the bass, just you know. So it's it's cool and and the fact that like they're such a heavy metal band. And they're still, they're a power trio, man. Mm. You know, instrumentally yeah. speaking, it's a power trio, you know? So that, I just, 
I love it. I love like the Texas attitude. I love the, you know, like and just everything about it is just so, uh, you know, it's so great. Yeah. Iconic guitar player. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick break because that was our first three. We'll come back with our our, our last three. Uh, so we will uh, we'll be right back. Now a word from our sponsors. Have you ever felt emotions? Then do we have the podcast for you. Feel Feelings is a weekly podcast where comedians Danny Getz and George Bruderman sit down with some of the funniest, emotionally distraught people, i.e. comedians, they know, and talk feelings. Every Friday, hear very funny people reminisce on Ren and Stimpy, worry about the Wizard of Oz, and emote over their emo phase. Check out Feel Feelings with Danny and George, a show about feelings and the things that make you feel them. All right, welcome back to Get in the Garage, Get in the Sun Porch edition. Uh, We are counting down our favorite guitar solos of all time. So far, do you want to do a quick recap, Jeffrey? We've gone... You want to do, give your three, you know, Luke, give us three, and then we'll yeah, carry, carry on. Yeah, my three so far have been Steely Dan's Asia, Night Rangers, Sister Christian, and ACDC's Let Me Put My Love Into You. Luca? Um, my songs were uh, <laughs> uh, The Stooges, 1969, <laughs> of their uh, first self-titled album. Um, the second solo I chose was... Man, George, I can't remember any George of them. Harrison. George Harrison's uh, Wawa Harrison. of All Things Must Pass, 1970. Um, and my third pick was uh, Cream, I Feel Free, off their first album from 1966, self-titled. And mine was Black Sabbath, War Pigs, Led Zeppelin, Since I've Been Loving You, and Pantera's Domination. So there we wow. go. So we're going to do two more, two more guitar solo picks and then a bonus pick, which we chose... Guitar-led instrumental songs to finish up today's episode. So, Luke, what's your yes. fourth pick? Uh, my fourth pick is um, uh, "In the Streets" by uh, the band Big Star. Mm. Um, I chose this because it's a really in tight, like in tight or in line tight solo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Big Star is a band from Memphis. Um, I think this album came out in seventy three, seventy two. Um, and so basically it's a great pop song this is the um theme song for that 70s show um but that version is done by cheap trick i would suggest listening to the original um so reasons i like the solo i think it's played by chris bell but i'm not sure so it's either played by chris bell or alex chillin yeah i i couldn't find which i i assume chris bell cuz if it was alex chillin i think it'd be a little bit more sloppy bluesy and i stuff. that i thought that as well yeah. Um, I also thought this was more of a Chris Bell song anyway than a Alex Chilton tune. Um, so that's why I think he did the solo on it. But um, it's uh, 30 seconds long, 35 seconds long about. Um, and it starts at a minute and 34 seconds into the song. Um, so I like this for some reasons that like we were kind of talking about like before. Um, this starts off really like kind of like aggressively happy. Mm-hmm. Like the first like three or four notes. Um, and then it kind of bends into the, uh, the fall, like a minor fall mm-hmm. down. Um, and it, the fall down is like a really like emotional, like 
oh man and it almost like it's bittersweet feeling um and then it kind of kind of rallies back up in like the style of like the birds i was just about to say that oh man yeah. cool man that was cool yeah. i'm glad you picked that out too i was like this is like it, it ramps back up into like a birdsy kind of thing um but it never really really resolves major it kind of mm. does but it almost resolves melancholy mm. And that's why I really like the solo because it starts off happy and then kind of just like fades in the low and maybe kind of comes back up, but doesn't really. Um, and I, I like the style of that in that it's kind of different. Um, this has always been one of my favorite guitar solos since I heard it just because of the um, the minor fall in it. Um, it just is such an emotional twist. Um, and that's why I really, really love this song. Yeah, it reminds me of those, the early Beatles songs. Like the early George Harrison things, where it's almost almost country ish, because mm-hmm. it's a lot of kind of arpeggio picking, like you said, very birdsy, um, simple, melodic, concise. It doesn't do it doesn't go the whole range of the guitar of the instrument. Like it doesn't do these crazy low notes and then wicked high like bendy. High. It just kind of like stays in its octave. It's very um, yeah, short, sweet, and to the point. Point, yeah. and then on the out the the. Right, echoes what already happened earlier. Yeah, yeah. Right. I love it. Yeah. It's just great motifs, great play. Yeah, don't sleep on Big Star, man. Yeah, check that yeah. record out, number one record. Speaking of you know, like underrated bands and stuff, man. It's the one. It's the number one underrated band, in my yeah. opinion. Jeffrey, what do you got there, guy? So my next choice is uh, an old classic I'm sure all three of us are very familiar with, and this was one of the first like serious albums I owned when I was maybe Christmas when I was like 13 years old, I got this as a CD, uh, 1973 Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon. And it's the solo from time, which if I was to pick one track off of that album, that's the one track I always go to, um, just because of the whole song itself, the, the lyrical message and how the music pairs well with the lyrics and all that stuff. But this guitar solo, I really enjoy. Um, it's the longest guitar solo on my list. It's a, it's pretty much exactly a minute and a half long and it is very typical David Gilmore strap played through a high watt and a fender twin paired together. It has some overdrive. It has um, some boost. It has an arbiter, uh, Dallas arbiter fuzz face. So it's very thick and saturated. Um, he uses an echo rec delay unit to give it um, some repeats, which is one of the highlights of the solo. It's a lot of long, bendy, memorable, melodic, singable stuff. Uh, my favorite part of the solo is when he does the ascending arpeggio, where so maybe like a third into the solo, he does this like but the delay is timed perfectly, so it sounds like John, 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 it all trails and matches exactly together, so it has this great harmony effect going on. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the one. And he, so he's, he's soling over the vamp of the, of the verse and he's, he's doing these ascending things and keeping it bendy and bluesy. And then the backgrounds come back in with the bridge chords and kind of like, ah, oohs and ahs of female background singers. And he takes the whole solo that was this building thing and he just brings it lower and lower. It's like watching a leaf fall from yeah, a tree that's a and, great analogy and he just it. like kind of and this is the one where instead of ending with this big blaze 
it ends with this down, 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 down. And this very low, like very country kind of thing, low open E string that he brings, pulls, pulls up a, a whole step to come right back in with the vocals again. Um, yeah, it's just. This might be my cool. favorite solo on of all of ours combined. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I'm a. It's, I just. I God, I love David Gilmore, yeah. <laughs> man. I love him so much, and uh, that song specifically. If you want to listen to another tune where you can kind of hear the precursor to that, there's a song called "Childhood's End" on the uh, song on the album "Obscured by Clouds," mm-hmm. and you can hear how that's like. You're like, oh, this is this is like yeah. the time solo before the time solo happened, you know? Because I mean, we're talking about guitar players that are hard to emulate, and you know, with Jimmy Page, and I absolutely think David Gilmore is so hard because it's like when you look at his solos, when you try to approach them, the hard part isn't getting the notes; mm. the hard part is playing the notes how he plays together. Them. Yeah, stringing the phrasing, and yeah, and yeah. it's like talk about somebody where it's his tone is is his left hand. Yeah. You know, he obviously. He has the effects and he has the tone, you know, like there's that side of it where it's the amp and the pedals and all that, but none of it, everything has to marry together and it does so perfectly just because of the way that he plays and a guitar player who, who plays for the song, you know what I mean? It's not like he's like, oh, this is my moment. I have to just like show my chops all the time. He plays well, everything is tasteful. That's why this beautiful. That's why the solo works so well, because it is emotionally reflecting off the lyrical content of what, uh, you know, what they're saying about the concept of time. And yeah. I feel like uh, th- th- it just plays it plays emotionally off of that. Like you can tell, like you, it's like talking without talking. You'd be like, oh well, he's he's uh, responding. It's a, it's like a re- emotional response to to that. And I think Ex- exactly, I think it, it plays yeah. perfect. It's yeah. wor- it's words without words. Yeah, well, he's and, all feel, man. And you got to remember, like playing notes for notes' sake is not what I enjoy. I enjoy the a lead guitar is the other lead singer of the band, so. The song time you got David Gilmore, very like growly and bluesy and harder, and then Richard Wright comes in with it's so like yeah sleepy with the bridge, and that's the guitar solo does the same exact thing. It's that biting, cutting. It's, it's the thing. reflecting of the. Yeah. It's the yin and yang, it's and then the, it goes to that drippy, droopy. Yeah, fading away part. I like your leaf falling metaphor. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Very good. It's such a good solo. Yeah. Good God! I remember when I learned that the first time. I was like, Oh my God! Like I, I was I've so never happy. attempted to try to learn a David Gilmore solo because I know I can't play the phrasing the way he plays it. I would. Yeah, it's so I wouldn't want to learn anything so like that because yeah. as soon as you learn it, it loses for me. Oh, when you learn how to mystery. do something, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. mystery of it disappears because yeah. you know what it is. Yeah. Mike, Mike can do that well. Like yeah. that that ascending thing with the delay effort. You play that. Yeah, one. yeah. <laughs> well, because he just but, for but, me put the put the length of the delay or the repeats <laughs> triple the amount of repeats. <laughs> yeah, I get lost in the sauce a little bit too much sometimes. What do you got next, there, guys? I just love it so much. Uh, my next song, keeping in the heavy metal vein, I'm gonna go with. A song that's not the most popular song for the album, but it is the song Power Slave from the album Power Slave, the 1984 album from Iron Maiden, their fifth studio album. What I love about this, what I love about Iron Maiden in general is they definitely take that kind of like Thin Lizzy sentiment of like the dueling guitar solos and they just do it so, so well. You have Dave Murray and Adrian Smith, the two guitar players from Iron Maiden, and... um, 
Did they play different sections of this whole solo? Yeah, right. Yeah, so I'm not really too clear about. So Dave Murray comes in with like because it goes dun 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 dun, 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 and you have Steve Harris. There's like a Kirk Hammett style to start it. It's like fade to black almost. Yeah, right. So that's Dave Murray that comes in with that first, and then when it gets a little bit faster into like the tapping stuff, that's Adrian Smith. Okay, and then I think the last little bit it goes back to Dave Murray for a little bit of the faster, for a bit of the faster stuff. Dave Murray, interesting story or interesting facts about like his rig. He had kind of the stereotypical like Marshall JCM eight hundred amp setup. I think both of them ran the same amps, Uh, but his Stratocaster that he played, he had like a souped up Super Strat. Um, it was a Fender. It was a 1957 neck on a 1963 strap body, and it was actually owned by somebody who was not famous for playing strats. Uh, Paul Kossoff from the band Free, who iconically is a Les Paul guy. Like most of the Free performances that you watch, if for those of you who don't know, Paul Rogers, the lead singer of Bad Company, was in a band before that called Free, and they were like a blues rock band. Uh, and Paul Kossoff, uh, he he passed away, I think right around the time that free ended but um if not maybe that was the reason why free ended but um so yeah uh most of the time when you see iron maiden and you know and the way that they are now like you know most of them just pretty much just play super strats i think adrian smith has uh like a jackson signature model and super strat meaning it's only humbucker pickups or it's like single single with a humbucker in the bridge or? uh all all variations i okay. uh from what i've seen i think dave murray actually plays all three single coil pickups mm-hmm. but they're but it's just i think they're demarzio so they're like super hot like yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. if it's not that, it's like a it's like a stacked sort of humbucker mm. in the shape of a single coil. I went down the rabbit hole trying to find out all the tones and stuff, and it's just like, man, if you you want to talk about going down a rabbit hole, it's like heavy metal fans arguing, heavy oh metal guitar God. fans arguing on forums about what the rigs were. Was just, I was just like, I can't. Somebody shoot me like that guy shot Dimebag Terrell. Yeah, once I saw <laughs> Jesus, our, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> um, yeah. That was a ra- I was like I was like 15 20 minutes deep into this forum and I'm like I I just have to I can't I can't do this. Yeah. Um the only the only clear rig that was was out there was Dave Murray's rig uh Adrian Smith because he also there's a lot of if you watch footage and stuff he also he did a lot with uh I think it was like a late 50s early 60s Les Paul Goldtop. Mm. Um so you know, there's speculations of what guitar he played. A lot of people think that it was the gold top for this song. Whether it was, I don't think it really matters because, you know, whatever. It's, yeah. it's. I mean, it's just, it's a great sort of solo. And similarly, too, kind of when we were talking about, like, you know, a beginning and a middle and an end. I think Iron Maiden does that really well because they give you all that, like, tasty sort of, like, shreddy heavy metal guitar solo playing. But they also have a good balance in the way where they can give you these, like you know, long note melodic lines as well. So I just think that between the two of them going back and forth, like it's just, it's so effective. And, you know, I mean, Iron Maiden's kind of like, you know, you have your Iron Maiden heads and stuff, but I, I love Iron Maiden, man. I do. I got to say. Like, yeah. Great shreddy rock and roll guitar. I like the, the two players too. They play off each other mm-hmm. so they can like reflect like what sentiments are. You know what I mean? Like you were yeah. saying earlier how like, yeah. you know, drummer and guitar player can play off each other in the solo and that you like uh, this solo, you know, they're playing off each other and like, uh, 
you know, building something greater in the bit of it. So, like, cool guitar solo that you chose two guitar players playing a guitar solo together, which yeah. was interesting and creative, and I like that. And, and very cool in, the, in, in that yeah. metal genre. And in Power Slave specifically, too, because Power Slave, like, you know, I mean, Iron Maiden is kind of like a history band, I guess, if you want to call them that. You know, they kind of, like, talk about history and, and how it sort of repeats itself in that way. They kind of draw these sort of metaphors between, like, what happened and what it is and stuff, and... And I like Power Slave too because it's it's you know it's their ancient Egypt album, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, and and the music reflects it though. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the 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 choices musically that happen are very reflective of those sort of like Egyptian kind of scales and stuff too. So uh, that's that's what I love. And then of course you know like the giant you know like fifteen foot Eddie as a as a mummy. <laughs> it was always fun too. You know like. So yeah. I like this solo because it's it's the bridge. It like it showed what the first half of this solo. It showed what Kirk Hammett was Kirk Hammett was going to do a lot of afterwards, and it's the second half of the solo, very reminiscent of the next person Luke's going to talk about, which was the Deep Purple style sound. Yeah. So what you're right, saying right. is like this was the perfect melding of like um of the before and the after yeah. into like the the new and the old school mm. sound going forward. Yeah, cuz they cuz they are they're do they're playing strats, you know, which yeah. Blackmore would do. So why don't nice transition here, Luke, to your next pick? Yeah, my next uh pick is going to be um Highway Star by uh Deep Purple played by Richie Blackmore on his Black Stratocaster. Um this solo is a minute and 20 seconds long and it starts at 3 minutes and 40 seconds into the song. Um, so like we're talking with Iron Maiden, uh, Strat players and the bring the old school and the new school together. This is a version of that too, which I think we talked about in our deep purple episode, but, um, this is my favorite guitar solo of all time. Like I did not have to think about this, um, at all. Um, so this is a car song, a going fast car song. So you've got (laughs) that kind of thing going for it. Um, what I like about the solo is, um, so at this point in rock and roll, this solo really brought like the classical influences into the heavy hard rock um, idiom, and um, you really have the first solo in the song is a keyboard solo played by John Lord. Um, R.I.P. Yep, R.I.P. And um, it's you know really well played, like lots of notes. Um, this solo is kind of a reflection of the first solo. Um, so it starts with, um, kind of like a bomb going off noise, like, kind of thing. Um, and I like this solo because it, it, it really does build. Um, it doesn't really have the fall and the lift thing. It has like, what would you call those arpeggios? Um, so the solo really starts with like the, yeah, he's like go, he's going up. Yep, and then that uh, ends in the down, bow, 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 and then he'll almost like add double the notes and do like the same thing. Um, so the beginning, it's more of like spaced out notes, and then it goes into like the double, the that kind of thing. Perfectly in time too. That section perfectly in time, and it's double, it's double tracked too. You could hear it. Um, uh, I know we'll get to that. We'll yep, get to that. because My in some complaint. in some parts of it, the double track gets a little in the in it's the a little um, in the and then the last part of the solo, which would be the just the um the straight up like 
um, bluesy kick back in, right. which is the down and 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 back into the boom, back into a verse. And we're talking about like Trems and Floyds and stuff like that. And then it goes back into the song. Yeah, so it's got like great, like whammy, divey, noisy shit in the beginning and in the outro of it, but the middle of it is just straight up like ripping. Um, really melodically, really like um, classical musically influenced, and it's yeah. just like shredding these beautiful like, um, you know, these beautiful notes. And the runs in it are so like Guitar Hero yeah. to me. Like, this is my Guitar Hero song. This is my like yeah. nerd out. I can sing you like the whole thing. See, but... for me, Richie Blackmore to kind of like not to backpedal too much, but like is what ruined Jimmy Page for me because I was like. Oh, it's like the same year and you can still play that clean. Because I remember having a conversation in the yeah. earlier days with like guitar players. And they're like, well, you got to think about Jimmy Page, man. Like, yeah, it's muddy, but it's because, you know, like you got to think of the equipment that he was using and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, but Richie Blackmore was playing like the same stuff yeah. except through a Strat. And it was so clean and perfect and in time. But, but we're, it's pa- Apple Page wanted to be blues. Right, right. And, and, and Blackmore, Blackmore wanted, wanted to be, be classical. <laughs> right, right, right. Different. Yeah, what did you think about this? Because right, so this I, isn't I, really your jam. No, I I think this is a great guitar solo. I deduct points because they never played this guitar solo live. No. Because they never did anything to make the harmonized thing happen. I watch a bunch of live things and I'm expecting John Lord to at least like do the lower harmony and stuff. And it's like, well, I know I know you can't do the bends on like the four phrases he does a little bend in with the harmony, but like at least fucking give us something that yeah, that cuz cuz some of those intervals are like weird and if you like dissect it in a way kind of wrong because they kind of clash and stuff, but in a good way where it's like, he really shouldn't have done straight thirds for one of the harmonies. He should have like altered a couple of notes to make it fit more in line with the chords, but keeping it straight thirds, like gives it this weird, like foreign kind of thing to it. And I'm, I was just bummed. I looked up so many videos, like hoping that they did it live, that it sounded like the record. It never does. Yeah. Cause I just love like how structured so, out 10 this. points from Gryffindor, 10 that. points, 10 points, Ten points from Griffin. But yeah, and and like you said, this is this is one of those guitar hero solos where, for me, I would cut it in half and I would shorten all the phrases personally. But it's interesting enough, and he does it. They started with that kind of like very like get back era Beatles kind of harmonized like bendy loopy type thing, and then it goes straight into the all the sixteenth notes and stuff. And yeah, it's a great solo. Yeah, and this is another. I think common theme for you this is another first track on the album oh yeah first I, track on machine head i, th- I oh, think yeah. three at least three of your songs are the first track on the yeah 1969 yeah. first track highway star is the first track and then even like wawa is the second or third track off of uh that one and then the big yeah. star is the second the, or the third cream track is the first track yeah. yeah yeah wow so good note man i didn't notice that long live the purple oh i'm right i'm yeah. so excited for you to talk about this solo because well, i what am I, I, talking about? I made a discovery oh, yeah. i made a discovery oh uh, you're finally getting hip to it well no i don't i still <laughs> didn't like super dive into it but i was yeah. like i made a connection in my own life that i was like mm. oh bro so my fifth pick is um like my first favorite album which is radiohead's okay computer from 1997 and it's the big like it's their Bohemian Rhapsody song is Paranoid Android, um, which is this like song suite with three distinct sections all like pieced together, kind of like Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles or Bohemian Rhapsody style. Um, the guitar solo, the lead on this is played by Johnny Greenwood, and he's playing a 91 Fender Telecaster Plus, which was 
um, a blue lace sensor pickup, single coil in the neck, and then a double red humbucker lace sensors in the bridge. Uh, it was modded by their guitar tech, Plank, who turned the... There's a coil tap feature on the Tele, Tele Plus, which was kind of like one of those early 90s. Like, they only made this guitar for five years with this kind of feature because telecaster you know people like it the way they like it but in the early 90s they're like let's give it for the let's make some tweaks for the alt rock kids yeah right. so they took out the coil tap and they put a kill switch instead so the solo utilizes that because there's a lot of times where he's just kind of like tremolo picking but then you hear like it cuts in and out because he's doing the kill switch thing um pete townsend style yeah there's so and he's using Again, another like dated at the time amp, but he's using a Fender Twin 85, which is like a thing they only made for like three years. But this was a band where, okay, this was their third album. And by this time, they were like blown up, but they still were like a bunch of poor dudes. So they're playing gear that they bought when they were like 16 still. So like the pedal he's using is a Marshall Shredmaster distortion pedal, which is like, <laughs> if you look for it now, it's like a really expensive, hard to find pedal. But back then it was like a pedal they got for like $40. Yeah. Um, it's a two part solo. It's this very like angular, crazy thing. It starts with this very fast, high tremolo picking like, and does this, all this like, like angular stuff. It. The guitar solo is played over the section where like it's four four, but that goes into these seven eight measures, so it's kind of wonky and weird. And the guitar solo ends, and then they go into this like long kind of like uh, almost like funeral dirge kind of like opera choral section. And then a second part of guitar solo comes blazing in for another fifty seconds or so. And this part is similar to the first solo, except now they're running everything through a. Mutronics mutator envelope filter. So it like straight up sounds like I always describe it as like, it sounds like a robot traveling like through space and like underwater. It's like swooping, <laughs> sweeping. Like the notes are themselves are going like, like crazy. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it's a lot of fun. And it's a solo where unless you're sitting there in the studio and you're like tweaking the knobs as he's playing back the tape, like you could never make it sound like that. And live, like, I don't even know how they do it live. I assume the guitar tech backstage is just, like, taking the rack unit and just, like, twisting knobs to make it have that, like, crazy sound. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's a very far out, far out guitar solo. And I just love the, it ends very abruptly with these, like, chromatic, like, da 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 And then the whole song's just, like, over. Um, yeah, but just really cranking guitar solo i like how this uh the solo like popped out of like almost nowhere it's like pretty <laughs> it's like pretty like uh i don't want to say like mellow but like um yeah it's uh, melancholy yeah, right, it's kind of right. like melancholy sounding and then it's just like what the fuck it's just like out of nowhere it's just like <laughs> ah! like cra you know what yeah. i mean um but furthermore i've like never listened to radiohead ever and it's not because i don't like them it's just because i like haven't like taken the time yeah but um listening to the song i was like oh this ty siegel sounds like radiohead yeah i was like ty siegel sounds exactly like radiohead yeah did not make the connection but like now i'm like oh especially now that ty siegel is trying to like come out of like his um uh super like um shreddy grungy punky mm. um stonery period yeah. and he's writing more salt like Mm -hmm. you know poppy or like melodic and interesting not bass guitar songs i was like this fucking sounds like radiohead and i was like radiohead sounds like ty siegel and mm -hmm. then my mind my mind was kind of 
broken from that moment. <laughs> and they're, they, I mean, they, they're, it's a band with three guitar players, but they, as they've matured and gone through different sounds, like they use a lot more synthesizers and weird. They're very like, they love effects and they're a sounds band, not a notes band. But like in their whole discography, there might, there may, might maximum, there's 10 songs with, with guitar solos, maybe five, closer to five. Yeah. And this is the one that, like you said, it comes out of this song that's kind of this melancholy, moody, like acoustic strummy song with like, um, what's the instrument that we love? The keyboard. Mellotron. That, Mellotron, Mellotron with the strings and stuff. And it's just like. My favorite part of this whole episode is that like Jeff's notes for his songs and my notes for Jeff's songs are like the exact (laughs) notes. Because I wrote I wrote solo sounds completely different. Speed picking in the beginning. Angular, but melodic. Yeah. (laughs) Because you were like. I'm like, man, this is crazy. I mean, I definitely showed up late to the Radiohead party. And the only reason why I did. I, I did end up attending the Radiohead party was because of Jeff. And I'll, I mean, I'm pretty sure there was Beatles a conversation. Beatles are the best band, but Radiohead is my favorite band. Yeah, I'm pretty in, sure there was a, there was a conversation opinions. that happened between me and you mm-hmm. at one point where you're like, yo, man, you got to listen to Radiohead. And I listened to that, especially OK Computer, and I was like, I can't stop listening to this record. I can't yeah. stop listening to this record. Because it's just, it's so well done. It's so beautiful. It's so... Like Luke said, it's so like melancholic and like it, it's heavy. And you said it really well, where it's like they're not a notes band; they're a sounds band, you know. And it's, and it, and it kind of it, it is reminiscent almost of a Pink Floyd in that way, where it's just right. like they're they're make there's they're, it's less songs and more moods, right? right you know, like right. obviously the song, the you know the the the, the ability to write well written songs is there for sure. But yeah, it's just a vibe. It's just such a mood, man. You listen to it and you like feel it. You know, it's you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't categorize Radiohead as background music no, style no. band. You know what I mean? It's like you li- when you listen to Radiohead, you listen to Radiohead. It's yeah. not like you just throw it on in a barbecue. You know what I mean? Like, Radiohead listens to you. Radio, yeah. <laughs> All right. What you, what, what's what was your last song? Oh uh, well, my last well, my last of the the the, the first picks uh, is probably a song that I'm sure Jeff absolutely went through agony to listen to it, which mission accomplished. I'm still if listening that was to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's in the middle ish of a 25 minute track called Dream Sequence on uh, the Mountain album. So uh, what part Flowers of this do of you Evil. consider the solo? Because it's so much of his guitar that I was like. What is so the, solo? the song itself starts off with a bit a bit of uh, you know a guitar solo and then it goes into <laughs> roll over Beethoven and then it goes into another bit of a guitar yeah. solo and then it kicks into the actual song Dreams okay. of Milk and Honey. The bam 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 bam. See okay because seeing that this song is a half hour long and there's a guitar solo in and of itself in both uh, roll over Beethoven and Dreams of Milk and Honey. Yes. Yes, I like the um my favorites. So this is Leslie West. Yes. The guitar player from Mountain played Les Paul Jr. Um uh P ninety yep. pickup. Yep. Um S- one single P ninety pickup. Yep. Um and his for, for me, the Leslie West sound is that part of this solo where he's literally just playing chords. Yeah. And he's going and he's just making these giant soundscapes. Must sound great on drugs. Um Well, you know. Yeah. You know. So anyway, but that's what the song is for. This is like a drug this is like druggy acid pot guitar solo, right? 
There's no way you can yeah, listen to and this. It's, and like, it's, I, this is what this is. It's like yeah. this is the. It's like supercharged cream too. You know what I mean? It's like that kind yeah. of a thing. Because because Felix Papillardi was the bass player, but he also was a producer Produced. for Cream's yeah. first two albums. Yeah, last or, three or last three rather. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and don't um, apologize to me, but apologize to Jack Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, it, it, you know, and I and I love how you know obviously the whole thing finishes off on Mississippi Queen, which is you know the mountain song if there was one. Uh, but the sound that makes uh, that that makes Leslie West's tone so unique is that like from what I saw in interviews as he was talking about how like he had kind of like again just like the normal sort of like you know late sixties early seventies kind of guitar rig which was like the Marshall and all that stuff. But there was some sort of a mix up. So when he went to a gig. They brought out this uh, Sun Coliseum PA. Sun, if you're familiar, it's like S U N N, and it was a tube-driven power amp rig with four four by twelve cabinets. And he was like, "I'm not gonna get a good sound out of this." And he plugged it in, and it was this monstrosity of a of a tone that became his sort of that became his rig. Like after that, that's all he. All he used in it, it, uh, it ran off of KT88 tubes, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the, uh, that's the, those are the same tubes that ran in the Marshall JTM45. That was the amp that uh, Eric Clapton used on John Mayall on the Blues Breakers. That's why that tone is so unique is because it's not, it's not the 6L6 tubes that you'd get in a Fender, and it wasn't the EL84 uh, tubes that you would get out of like the Marshall amps. Or EL34s. Or EL34s or 6L6. There's this S6. Uh, 6V6. 6V6, thank you. So, uh, Tube Talk. Uh, <laughs> On this week's episode of Tube, tube Talk, talk. <laughs> what if we just and, and we just get together? Can we, we do, do a segment about we do a that? Segment and we just say numbers and letters and we just make shit of it. <laughs> so, there's no sense. Well, to be fair, the, the 6L6 and the 6V6 tubes that came out of the Fender amps were giving you much more of a brighter sort of like shimmerier yeah, tone. more headroom. Whereas the EL84s and the EL34s that Marshall would use were are much more mid-boost. of that mid-boosted sort of, you know, like creamier kind of sound. Uh, but the KT88s, that's what's so unique about those tubes specifically mm. is that they were kind of like the third odd one out that mm. kind of gave a little bit of a different sound. And um, and yeah, and and you know Leslie West's tone is no exception to that. Um, so yeah, what the tone is the what the tone's your, the thing on this solo? Yeah, the tone is all day long what you're listening to this for. But what is your favorite part of the of of this whole like half hour long sequence? It's the <laughs> it's the, it's the solo in Dreams of Milk and Honey where it's like mm-hmm. like and then like. Towards the, the, the you know, it like like kind of how like with Floyd, uh, Gilmore did a solo over the verse and then it changed to the bridge part. Likewise with this one, it, it, it goes to like a different part, like I guess if you want to call it the bridge of the song. Uh, and he does these, like he, he moves with the chord changes too, which I think is so nice. Um, and I love like the super crazy fuzzed out bass that sits underneath it with Felix Papillardi, like thumping under it, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my favorite part of it. Cause I just think melodically and everything, like it's just such a well done solo. And I like this version of dreams and milk and honey because it's a slowed down version. If you listen to the album cut of this song, it's much faster. It's much more upbeat. Where this one, he slows it down a little bit, but just enough to kind of like 
give it more to make it heavier he slows it down a little bit i like uh leslie soloing across this whole thing too because he can really take like one single note and like really beat the shit out of the one note yeah and make it sound he's like i'm gonna play one note for 30 seconds and i'm gonna play it like a hundred different ways with bends and it's gonna be enjoyable and that's what i really like he really milks every single note no pun intended yeah and it's it's yeah right uh, and he, there's this good moment too, like towards the end of the act of that so- of that song within the song, uh, where there's like a trading between the like, bass and the, the guitar, and the guitar too, and the keyboard. which I really really like. Yeah, keyboard, which you know, Leslie um, West didn't even know the keyboard player's name. <laughs> also, <laughs> he's like, also, yeah, I don't know, he's like, I play keyboard. Steve Knight. Um, also, <laughs> thank you. I don't know why I know the keyboard player from Mountain's name, but I do. But and um, drummer Corky Lang. But um, besides all this, like um. Probably out of everybody we talked to about today, probably the most melodic guitar player in the bunch, because mm-hmm. all Leslie West's things are like melod. You could sing every every phrase he does. Yeah, I mean, I there's almost like did. no phrase in here that you can't sing. <laughs> yeah, I would so say him and David Gilmore are probably the two that yeah. have the most melodic lines. And and with and with Leslie West, like I said about Angus Young, like I kind of never get tired of his solos. Like, I mean, it's you know, I know people who definitely do get tired of his solos, Jeff. but. But me. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just woke up. I was so tired of that 25 minutes <laughs> All right. That's, that's my one thing about this. Great tone, great phrasing, great choices. He's one, of the, he's one of the best guitar players to listen to. And I'm like, yo, I got to tap out after like seven minutes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But it, it but, goes to show you, know. you that this is – it's just the times, man. It's 1971. He's Drugs. doing that. Yeah. Well, yeah. But even the album itself, he's doing that thing like that could, that Cream did with Goodbye Cream, where it's like half studio album, half right. live album, you know. And and it's just it's extended cuts. It's that's that was the thing. You like know? It's we, I was saying off yeah. mic, I think too. Uh, like this is a, a song that works well on an album. Like the half hour sequence mm-hmm. on the back of an album works super well. Not something that works great in the car. So yeah, if that. you're yeah, if you're sitting down and like listening to the LP and like you put it on the record, unless stuff, you gotta drive like, to yeah. Maine, it'll last you the whole trip. <laughs> go. Let's uh, let's choo choo on into our, our instrumental yes, segment. So, here. Yeah, so bonus picks. So we did five guitar solos in like typical songs. Now we're gonna each do a bonus pick that is a guitar lead on an instrumental track. Yes. Hit us with your choice, Luke. Okay, so I picked <laughs> probably the most brutal song to listen to in this whole uh, selection of songs, even though Mike's is a half hour long. I'm pretty sure that like the six minutes of this oh, song yes. <laughs> was very torturous to listen to. Um, the guitar solo on this um, is not really that long <laughs> at all. It starts at like three minutes and 50 seconds and probably lasts for about like 20 seconds or 30 seconds and kind of like plays out for the rest of the song but, but the song kind of doesn't it's guitar it's, yes so this yeah. is why i chose this song because it is a punk song yeah. I, I guess i i guess Bla- i guess i guess, yeah. I guess it's a black flag is a punk band whatever it sounds like black flag black, doing black, black sabbath. sabbath yeah i just like this song because it it showed that like people that could appreciate punk music were also guitar players um I liked how this had like somewhat jazzy overtones in a free jazz kind of way. Um, the guitar solo <laughs> locked that thing up. Lots, of, free, lots, of, lots of freedom. Um, <laughs> too much freedom. But so in that solo that he plays in this song at the end, it is like free jazzy. Mm. But 
the beat is so <laughs> what beat? <laughs> There's no beat. The bow now now down 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 down. Oh, you mean that that thing that made me feel like I was being dragged through the mud? Down down down. I think this is this is in four and a half four time. I was trying to figure out time stand still. I was trying to figure out what time signature in. I I think it's in five four. It's more of a time scribble than a signature. I couldn't make sense of it. Not the time initial. So this is what um. Black Flag would call the socialist groove, where all beats were given <laughs> equal spacing, right? And it has that like relentless. Yeah. Every member of the band is pushing the narrative, and by the time the solo cuts in, I feel like the guitar, the bass, and the drums have made you, especially the guitar, has made you so uncomfortable <laughs> and anxiety ridden because it's just it's literally like the musical uh, like. Equivalent of anxiety, yeah. um, uh, stress, yeah. um, because it, you're waiting for this thing to resolve or blow up or like move in a certain direction. And by the time he starts going to the, like the atonal guitar solo at the end, that ends like in a slush sludge when it finally <laughs> stops. By the time it kicks in, for me, I'm so relieved and like the pressure is like. And it's just maybe like saying other things about what this the anger or the the yeah. that builds. Yeah, it's definitely it's a release of tension. And then, yeah. but the, when the release comes, you're never relieved because it's just more atonal noise on top of how, it. How long is the song? I think it's like six, about six minutes six, long. Six minutes, uh, roughly. I listened. To you know, song. when I was felt relieved, <laughs> six minutes and one second. <laughs> I listened to the song yesterday. Last night, after force feeding myself, oh, dude, I didn't amounts of barbecue, and I felt physically <laughs> yeah. nauseous. At listening I, to the song. I don't it's like think I, I said what, this, what the <laughs> name of the song is. Actually, guys, I, the name is of the song like is Insurrection or oh, something. Uh, obliteration. Obliteration. <laughs> you know what this song reminds me of? You and know? it's off of Black Flag's uh, Slip It In album, nineteen eighty four. It's a. I mean, this, like you said, if their if their mission was to make you uncomfortable <laughs> and guess like what the fuck is coming next. It's a great song, like a, like all jokes yeah, aside, it is a it is a really good song. I'm telling you though, man, the meat sweats and just the nausea I felt at, while listening to the song, <laughs> I was just like this song. To and me, I I kept like doing the like slow little headbang, but then I'd have to like hitch and be like, what the fuck? Where's the downbeat in this song? This, what the this, fuck this, is this song to me felt like the moment where like you know like if an animal dies in the wild, eventually Drags its body, its body. You no, know, eventually its body becomes like so filled with bacteria that it, it fills with gas and then it, it finally explodes. That's what it reminds me of. It's like the exploded corpse of a buffalo <laughs> it's like you're like good god you know but it's good but i'm and, that, and the tone and I, is great the that's sounds what I, mean. I hope great. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean it in the best ways though i don't mean it to yeah, talk yeah. shit but, on the but song no. i mean it just like oh my god this song is so <laughs> this, intense this and is this is an ugly song that's yeah. why i chose it because i wanted to, to one choose like um i tried to choose guitar songs that weren't really like standard guitar mm -hmm. hero songs yeah. and this was the one for me because it evokes um, like just such like nervousness and yeah. like you yeah, know yeah. all this tension and and, well, and and I think it none of the like a lot of the other songs didn't really like the play the way this guitar is playing yeah it's and, just like a forced like and the important part about music too is like you you have you know like we talked yin and yang we talked about like balance and everything like that and like this is a song that it's like. Yeah, it life is ugly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's you know, it, and it and it and it it is definitely an emotional expression of 
uh, you know, anger and of, frustration of, of things people like, usually don't express. Right, right, right yeah. So I think that it's 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 an important song in that respect, where it's like, yeah, man, like life is also kind of ugly, and here's the song to show you how ugly life can be. You know, like and it's and just it's so well. It's I well wanted done. to make both of you listen to it because yeah. I could. Oh, I real. I was like, oh man, I can't wait till Jeff listens. <laughs> oh, I listened to it. And I'm like, oh yeah. I thought it was a, I thought it was a song by uh, what's that band, The Sisters. No, the, oh, shags. the shags but and we we describe this and and you may be sitting listening to this and being like oh this song is a nightmare this song it basically sounds like a black sabbath meets like anesthesia pulling teeth by metallica but just like there is no like f- the form is so loose and strange yeah it's not this like heavy assault it's it's like a emotional like subliminal assault yeah, because yeah. it's just like this grueling just oh, it makes you think about all going? the bad stuff you've done <laughs> well isn't that, is that thing in the horror movies now like that you no, you, yeah. you notice when it you it, something scary is about to happen you get the little eh. ominous thing yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's just you're like i'm uncomfortable i'm glad you put that on, this on the list though because i i'm yeah it's like all the time I'm, I'm trying to tell like black flag for me is like such a, a more artistically fruitful band than mm. i think they get credit mm. for because yeah. of the punk idiom yeah. I've been using the word idiom a lot today. Idiom, yeah. Um, so my instrumental choice is from one of my favorite albums. It's uh, 1975, Jeff Beck's album Blow by Blow, which is a jazz fusion instrumental album. So the whole album, there's no vocals. Um, there is some talk box guitar, but we won't categorize that as wow. vocals. Um, and the song I chose is a song written by Stevie Wonder. It's called Because We've Ended as Lovers. It was originally on an album um, released the year before this Jeff Beck version. And it was an album made by Stevie Wonder's ex-wife, Cyrita Wright. And the original is like this very pretty, like mini Ripperton, very like early 70s, like all major sevenths, minor sevenths type of things. And it's very this like melancholy, sad, you know, I don't know, like mournful song. And this version by Jeff Beck is guitar bass drums and keyboard and it's it says on the liner notes it says um dedicated to roy buchanan and thanks stevie and roy buchanan is like one of those underrated guys who i never even heard of until like two years ago or maybe like five years ago who was a telecaster master who like could play every trick and do everything that you could ever think of on guitar and i highly recommend checking out um, Roy Buchanan's Live from Texas, uh, Live from Austin, Texas album, especially. So Jeff Beck dedicated this to Roy Buchanan because this was his kind of take on a Roy Buchanan style. He played a telly for uh, this song and some of the rest of the album. And it was, he called it the Telly Gib because it was a telly that was like Frankenstein by the luthier uh, Seymour Duncan a couple years before Seymour Duncan went out on his own and made his own like legit uh, pickup company. And so Seymour Duncan had this 59 telly body um, and he took the pickups, the humbucker pickups from a 59 um, flying V and put it into this guitar and Frankenstein it all together with like uh, Gibson fret wires and stuff like that. And he gave it to Jeff back to play so it has that kind of telly twang, but it also has that searing humbucker sound. And uh, it's just this is this whole song is like a masterclass in 
all the good stuff that I like about Jeff Beck, like this, since there was no whammy on the guitar, he couldn't do all the like crazy fucking whammy stuff he likes to do, which I kind of hate. Um, so this this solo is like it starts with this kind of volume roll, like mournful, like howling animal kind of sounds, and it's pretty blues, and it goes from like kind of slightly overdriven sound into this like he cuts off the overdrive and does like twangy clean tone at times and then he goes into this like scorching hot lead like halfway through the song he does these like and leaves like space um it's it's like every trick in the book he does like tapping he does these descending lines that are all like twiddle finger type things and um it's a it's one of those songs where it's all instrumental guitar lead and like i could honestly like sing back all like five and a half minutes of the song. Like I've listened to the song so much and like everything is memorable about this song. And he kind of throws the kitchen sink at it and maybe it's a little too much for a lot of people, but I don't know. I love, I love this song so much. See, I think this was a great choice because uh, obviously like, I mean, a lot of people of like my generation don't understand Jeff Beck and why Jeff Beck is important. Like we, you know what I mean? Like, Mm. And this is, I think, like the most effective style of Jeff Beck because, like, you have somebody who is a great composer, like uh, Stevie Wonder, like giving you these great chord changes. Mm-hmm. But then you have the personality of Jeff Beck being able to, like, just really have control and, like, thought of what, like, the guitar is going to, like, say and punctuate instead of, like, a vocal line. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Beck was so great on the guitar with, like, voicing and phrasing. And you're right, like, his tricks. It's, like, every, you know. Like, extreme bends and, like, yeah. all these crazy things. And because the album lacks vocal, you really are focused into, like, we were saying, like, an emotive, like, the guitar is telling a story. Like, we were saying with, like, David Gilmore, like, reflecting off of, like, mm-hmm. what time meant. And, um... Like you get all these like great things, and I think this is a great guitar track too that you picked because you can kind of place your own because there's no vocal. You can really place your own mood on what you think the song is about, and like it yeah. really emote off of like Jeff Beck's great, great playing, and um, it just gives him like the opportunity to stretch out and show you why he's a great guitar mm-hmm. player. And for like ever, you were trying to tell me like, man, Blow by Blow is Jeff Beck's best album, and now I I highly agree, and it's because like um. Everybody else was just um, really laying down a great, uh, a great foundation for him to be to show you all the tricks in a concise nature. That's not like, um, you know, like you said, it might be like a little busy for some people. But I mean, yeah, because like his albums with vocals, I feel like he like overplays his hand because he only has like the forty five seconds to a minute and a half right throw shit so he kind of like throws too much on his solos on those albums and this Mm -hmm. he has to give much more space for right and it stretches out in a way that like makes it so poignant of what he's Mm -hmm. actually doing because like let's be straight like most other than rod stewart like most of his vocalists kind of sucked yeah and didn't like it he's you want to listen to guitar this is what i wish every jeff beck album was honestly yeah yeah i'm when it comes to jeff beck the album i probably reach for the most is like truth yeah. Or like Beckola. Mm. Uh, I like this album. I like the production on it. It was produced uh, by George Martin, too, mm. which was pretty cool. Um, and I guess the motivation behind this was he heard J- uh, George Martin's production on uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra album, which people who know, I love Mahavishnu mm. Orchestra, John McLaughlin. Mm. Um, so I like the production on it. And yeah, it's um, blow by blow. Is <laughs> We've had conversations where I kind of like talk shit on this record. Mike likes the wankiest guitar 
<laughs> masturbation and he hates this album i know i, I don't know. understand I just, you like Vishnu orchestra but you don't like this album. yeah i don't know maybe it's just be i don't know i don't know why but this but no just i will gotta, say that this album with it listening to this yeah. song kind of made me rethink things and kind of go back and be like oh you know what yeah this is a good record like this mm. i'm not i'm kind of like nah, this is a great record i kind of like blows my vision out of the water oh well let's not get crazy yeah. uh <laughs> but uh but jeff beck too i love the fact that like it, whether it's a pick or his fingers like he yeah. still plays like so well you know he can do that kind of stuff and i agree with you too jeff like in the way that like a little bit later on once we start getting more like strap playing jeff beck with like the whammy bar stuff and stuff like i'm not crazy for that right. kind of stuff um but yeah no i mean I like height of his song. powers i love it yeah this yeah. is like i mean this is as close as you can get to the line between clever and stupid you know <laughs> like because he still throws in a lot of shit where some of it is a little too much maybe but he kind of stays within the boundaries of the song and doesn't go fully yeah. off the rails on this song yeah yeah, yeah for sure on the- like the next pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, my instrumental song is a song that came to me, uh, you know, in, in a dream. In a, in a dream. <laughs> I was abducted by aliens in the soundtrack that they played. Love to me. Uh, it's a song called "Tender Surrender." It's a play on the Jimi Hendrix Villanova Junction that he played uh, live at Woodstock. The dun 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 dun. But this song, this Who is song. It? Steve Vai playing Tender Surrender. Sorry, I thought I said it. No, it's Steve Vai, Tender Surrender. It's off of an EP that was sandwiched, sandwiched between the 1993 release Sex and Religion and the 1996 release called Fire Garden. And what's this one called? Uh, this one's called Alien Love Secrets. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it's a cover of Steve Vai uh, In paint, silver. painted silver with his hands over his face. Um Say what you will about Steve Vai, but like, let's be real. Oh, man. I will. Oh, yeah, no, let's let's hear what you're bringing in. Listen, man, he like he got his chops playing with Frank Zappa. He dropped out of Berkeley College of Music and and started playing with Frank Zappa, and then went on to play. He was in a band called Alcatraz for a little while. So he was never in a good band. Uh, <laughs> he was. Yes, he was. He was David Lee Roth's lead guitar player. Oh, yes. Roth okay. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. One good band. <laughs> this song to me is important in the way that like it was kind of an eye-opening experience for a lot of young guitar players in the way that like there's this thing that happens when you're playing with a valve amp, tube amp, where you know even if you have heavy distortion, you can roll the volume knob back and get a clean sound. And that's something that like was kind of an aha moment for me, especially there's uh, there's a famous like video of him playing this song. Oh, uh, I can't divorce... Anytime I hear the song, I see the video in my mind. Oh, it's so good, though. It's so good. <laughs> and he, the thing I love about it is, like, he'll be, like, playing, and he'll be, like, doing these crazy runs, and he'll, like, he run He fixes his, his hair yeah. 25 oh, times it's so in, the, good, in the song. Though. It's so good. Like, I just love it. It's, yeah, it's schmaltzy and silly. He does the screaming silly. face. It's schmaltzy and silly and stupid, and I but I it. I love it. I just I love it. It's it's so corny. This is everything he I looks hate like, about the guitar solo. He looks like oh, Siegfried. And, he looks like Siegfried and Roy's heavy metal brother. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing a suit jacket with no shirt underneath. Yes, and it has man. like spikes on the shoulders. Yes, yeah, exactly. pretty much. Pretty much looks like Jimmy Page in. Yeah, Tom it's very same. yeah, yeah, but it's that super strat. It's an Ibanez yeah. gem, which would yeah. become his signature guitar that was based off of an Ibanez RG. The only thing that's a distinguishing factor is the fact that there's different inlays on the fretboard, and, and there's, there's a, a handle. handle on the body of the guitar, which 
I always thought was really stupid. Well, but... someone should tell him to get a hold of himself for real. Like, no. let's... his new one is I think it's called the Lotus. It has two handles on it. Does it have two <laughs> yeah. handles? Oh, I thought it was slightly a... different shape. Yeah, it's it's slightly yeah. different shape. Yeah, but uh, you know, I shit on listen... this because it's funny because it's over the top. Yeah, but, but it's like Vegas performer over. Yeah, the top. it's and that's, not. Yeah, but that's what I like yeah. about it. It's that I don't because yeah. the thing I like about Steve Vai is he never really takes himself too seriously. No, no. He. He's kind of in on his own joke, right, and right. that's the thing I like about it in that way. Because it's like you can tell he knows it's kind of silly and kind of stupid, and, and a little bit, you know, like it kind of hits those sort of like '80s guitar god stereotypes. But as a guitar player, he's just so good yeah. that yeah. it doesn't really matter, you know. Like he's and let me just say this outright: like when it comes to guitar soloing and styles and ways of playing guitar he is far from my favorite like mm. i if i'm gonna if i have to pick between like those kinds of guys that school i'm more i'm way more of a joe satriani okay. kind of guy myself because i like that he does more like blue blue based rock with guitar virtuoso stuff where mm. steve Vai kind of like ties in it's like noodly but it's very there's a lot of like legato happening mm. it's not like really like there's not like. There's I like not the a other tall. Who's the other tall, skinny guy with giant fingers who was in like Mr. Big? Paul Gilbert. Paul Gilbert. Yeah. That's the guy. And that's I, yeah, yeah. I'll say similar that. Similar type. Of that school, yeah. of that like alma mater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul Gilbert's probably my my favorite, yeah. favorite, you know, because he, he'll still whip out like a Chuck Berry style solo when it calls for it. You know what I mean? Where Steve Vai always is Steve Vai, and sometimes yeah. it's like. It's like, you know, like, you don't need a Steve Vai solo in the middle of a Jimi Hendrix the most... cover. Well, like, what's... they do Fire yeah. on one, like, one of the, the G3 yeah, yeah. things. And it's, I think it's John Petrucci's the other guitar right. player. Right. And it's like, they play a cover of Fire. And I'm like, I don't, I don't need, this is so unnecessary. Um, So I like this song because it's like, the first bit of it is like a George Benson song. Because it's all that, like, West Montgomery, George Benson, like octave things and it's very nice and it's all like kind of smooth jazzy and then he goes full like eddie van halen like crazy tapping and all these stuff that like eddie van halen didn't do is very steve Vai, where he's doing the like crazy rake picking like up the whole neck he does he covers like three octaves in two beats <laughs> like like that stuff you're like you look at his fingers like i i'm telling you i see the video every time i think about this song and, well that's the thing about steve vai too is so fucking long they're, they're so long they're so crazy but everything looks like it's effortless right and it really is yeah. like if you were to if you were to sit back and like look yeah. at the hands of the guitar player it, he does play beautifully oh, you know yeah, what i mean there's much. this sort of like beautiful quality to how he plays and i saw an interview with him and he talks about that he's like that's my goal is to actually look beautiful while you play it to make it look like it's this effortless sort of virtuistic kind of thing about it and i know it's not what's, everybody's cup what's, of tea what's the most steve vi part of the song though uh when he's when he's doing what? a lick and he runs his hand okay, through that, his hair that what's your choice i mean like this is the whole thing though yeah but pick a moment what's a moment <sighs> i mean it's got to be like the the, the fast the, the fast my <laughs> the most steve vi part to me is that he ends it with this like don't 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 and then he goes Wow! 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 Like Jesus Christ, man! Yeah. Like, but talk about like let a dead dog death. die. Yeah. Yeah. No, he beats it. Also, to death. the the and then he ends the song. He sticks his finger up. He licks it, and then he he like flicks the string to end the song because <laughs> it ends on this like. 
like little plick. Yeah, <laughs> beat that's it. what I mean. It's so. Wow, 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 wow. But like, but you know, he does that thing where like I he's doing it. those he's like, yeah. and he like he's he very the, sexual. He's like he's yeah, that's he's like holding it out at his crotch and he's like slowly moving his hips. Yeah, it's like these slow sexual oh, thrusts. I hate like, it. I hate so it so funny. good. I hate it so much. It's everything I like about, like you said, very much in on the joke. If you're playing it with. Frank Zappa and David Lee Roth, you know, you're in on the joke. You're smart enough to know, like, yeah, right. we are, we're yes. not Motley Crue thinking yes. that this is cool. We are like fully just entertainers. For me, it's like when you see like you know, like a, like a character piece kind of thing where it's like some there's like some guy say as an example, there's a guy who's like doing who's like playing the part of kind of like this like bro right you know what i mean you know he's not like that in real life right. but like he hits all those like stereotypes where he says like really terrible things yeah but you know it's a joke and you know he's in on the joke that's what it is for me he's you, like oh are, no are i you, know it are you saying that he's the dice clay of guitar players no. yeah, maybe, maybe. Hickory, <laughs> Dickory, Doc. i'm telling you he's like if he doesn't have a Vegas residency, he's missing the boat. Yeah, he should. Steve Vai, like if he just had like a five hundred person theater, see and that, he was there yeah, all year long, like that. Yeah, like the Steve Vai experience because he's go, incredibly. When he puts on the show. It might yeah. hang upside down. Yeah, I he would. Could play I would circles go see around that. any like you know what I mean like just proficiency oh, yeah. and skills and like what he can actually do and and he like he demonstrates on this song the first forty seconds of the song. It's like if he wanted to just do like smooth jazz like elevator music type of like yeah. He could do that. Yeah. Same with Jeff. Same with Jeff Beck, for that matter. Like, yeah. I would go see a, a Except Vegas Jeff Beck, residency. I don't think is in on the joke. No. <laughs> Jeff no, Beck no. is like as somebody. What? I'm 73 years old and I can't wear a cut off shirtless jean vest. I feel attacked. I feel attacked. You felt attacked when you saw him live. You mean? No, because I'm wearing a sleeveless shirt. <laughs> yeah, but you're <laughs> you're not even 30 years old, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, when it's like we... Ronnie Wood wearing like <laughs> right. you know like like. Dude, when I saw the Stones, Ronnie. Dazzled pants. You're like Ronnie Wood came out in a unicorn shirt. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. But um, when we saw Jeff Beck, he was so out of touch with himself. Yeah, he came out with his new album a couple years ago. He had like a, a 19 year old female singer singing like like new yeah. metal songs. Oh, okay, yeah. It was shit. It was the oh, most was shit, shit thing I've ever Buddy seen. Buddy guy life. blew him out of the water. We almost left. Did we leave early? If we didn't leave early, we were talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so let's run down our list. Luke, you want to give us your, yep. your your six? I got 1969 by the Stooges uh, from 1969. I have Highway Star by Deep Purple with Richie Blackmore um, playing. I have uh, Wawa by George Harrison off All Things Must Pass, 1970. Um, and then I also had Cream's I Feel Free, Eric Clapton, 1966, um, Big Stars, um in the are uh, in the street um from 1972 um with either Chris Bell or Alex Jones I think Chris Bell and then uh Black Flag um uh Obliteration off the album Slip It In from 1984 um that's Greg Ginn on guitar My choices were Peg <laughs> <laughs> by Billy Dan Featuring Jay Graydon on the solo. Um, Night Rangers, Sister Christian, Brad Gillis on lead on that. My third one was ACDC's Let Me Put My Love Into You from Back in Black. We can't my afford this. My fourth was Time, David Gilmore, Pink Floyd. 
My fifth one was Johnny Greenwood playing lead on Radiohead's Paranoid Android. And my instrumental was Cause We've Ended as Lovers by Jeff Beck off of Blow by Blow. Yes, and mine was War Pigs, Tony Iommi, 1970, off the album Paranoid. Uh, Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, 1973, from the album The Song Remains the Same, uh, Since I've Been Loving You. Pantera's Domination, Dimebag Daryl, 1990. Iron Maiden, Power Slave, Power Slave, 1984. Uh, Dave Murray, Adrian Smith. Mountain, my man Leslie West, R.I.P. Uh, Dreams of Milk and Honey off their 1971 Flowers of Evil album. And the alien himself, <laughs> Steve Vai, <laughs> with Tender Surrender off of the EP Alien Love Secrets. Uh, delicious. Um, Finishing so- up today's episode, we want to make some mention of some newsworthy things. Yes, rest in peace to two rock and roll heavy metal greats. First, we have Dusty mm. Hill from ZZ Top. Yeah, R.I.P. I think... I I read somewhere that it was the longest running lineup in any rock band in music history. Yeah, because they never did they ever change members. It's like 1969 yeah, all the way te- through. ZZ Top technically had another bass player originally for like a year and a half, but then Dusty joined the band a couple months before they recorded their debut album. Yeah, and then Frank Beard. But, yeah, since the so, only since one the without late, the beard, <laughs> right? Frank Mustache. So <laughs> since the late 60s. Yeah. 50 plus years. Yeah. And he was, I think he was 73, 74. So, yeah. So solid. A, life, a lifetime playing. Great bass player, underrated band, um, excellent style. Like, look up their rig rundown on YouTube and you can see, like, how they had 40 different bases backstage with all different types of like fur or crocodile skin <laughs> or like yeah. weird like belt buckle attachments. Burnt, it was like wardrobe burnt changes wood and except like, they yeah. were bases. Yeah. Like, and just fucking playing Texas blues for 50 plus years and sounding great forever. Yeah. Also was a member of a fake zombies band from back in the day oh. at one point. Cool. Really? Yep. The members of ZZ Top were... Um, were a members of a fake zombies group because the zombies had disbanded when time of the season oh. was a hit. Oh yeah. So uh, all these promoters made fake zombies bands and booked them across the United States, and they were one of them. Yeah. So R.I.P. Yeah, so R.I.P. to him, and then also R.I.P. to Joey Jordanson, founding member of Slipknot, drummer extraordinaire. Uh, we were ta- I was talking to somebody at work about this the other day, and Joey Jordanson. The thing about him, you got to remember too, is like. I'm pretty sure he wasn't running triggers, you know, something that like a lot of modern ba- a lot of modern drummers bases, play yeah. on the double on the double yeah. bass like the kicks they run triggers, which is basically like you don't have to give a full hit. It'll yeah. just give a full hit for you, so it's like a triggered thing. I don't I think watched Joey the live Jordanson cams did. and yeah, he looked like he was double footing the whole time. Yeah, just just an incredibly also technical going, drummer. The drum riser rising up and then tilting so he's completely sideways. Oh, like, and fully upside down at times yeah, too. Crazy. Fully upside down. He was one of those drummers like in that era. I mean, I was never like a super big Slipknot fans, mm-hmm. but um he was one of the drum- drummers that influenced so many other right. drummers in especially in the hardcore and metal genre. Um, and he really like put his style out there forward. And I think like every, uh, tons of people copied that style and he was just such a, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think he was like a real drum, like a real drum hero in the era of, of not really big drum heroes. And he also fronted a band, uh, the murder dolls that me and my sister used to torture my mom with, um, 
I mean, like songs like Twist My Sister and Kill Miss America and mm. just I loved that so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Rest in Peace, he was yeah, a don't... really, really great drummer that a lot of people um, that I knew play drums really looked up to and really showed me their videos and, you know. Yeah, and kind of one of those stories where it's like an athlete who, like, gets injured mid-career and has to hang it up. Because um, Joey Jordison, I think almost a decade ago, he w- revealed that he had some kind of neurological issue, some kind of, like, very rare, uh, you know, syndrome or whatever that affected his muscle twitch muscles and stuff so he would like be playing live and like his leg would give out halfway through the show and stuff like that so that's why he had to leave slipknot because he couldn't physically handle the rigors of of playing and he died i think he was 45 ish years old and so you gotta think like he left the band that he founded and was like worldwide successful at in his mid-30s yeah and And not for nothing fucking like you look at Slipknot and you're like, there's a lot of excuse the vulgarity. There's a lot of fuckery going on. Yeah. I mean, like people hitting trash cans with mallets, right. you know. But like the thing about him is that yeah, like he is he was he truly, was the center of the machine. Yeah, he was yeah. so talented, man, yeah. and it's just so incredibly technical. I mean, I remember first listening to Slipknot. I mean, Luke and I were talking about Slipknot earlier, like. You know, of those bands, like mm-hmm. they were a band that scared the shit out of me. Yeah, I, I didn't listen. To I was them. like, "Oh my god, this is this is the devil <laughs> stuff right here." Really you know, scary, really, really quite... scary. A lot of like satanic imagery and like severed goat heads and like, like all kinds of just like really crazy, crazy the nonsense. Yeah, just like because really... they were from that like kind of area. Iowa. Yeah, they were from fucking <laughs> Iowa, so yeah, they were well, like they... literally children of the corn. Who man. was the le- other lead singer? What's his name? Corey um, Taylor. Corey Taylor. I remember the, there was an interview with him, and he's just like, "Yeah, we used to hang out in cemeteries." You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what's there to do out there? There's like there's yeah. nothing to do. So like you know, it, it the, you listen to the music, and it is pretty much a reflection of that kind of like frustrated Midwestern young person in the middle of nowhere and even from all of us too like uh we just spoke about you know dusty hill and you know we we like zz top but you can see like how all of us i wouldn't call myself like a slipknot fan mm. but and i don't think you guys really would either yeah but you I could tell but um you could tell by the way we're talking about it that um highly influential on on mm. the music scene that we were into because we i mean we are speaking about this on quite like a you know, we understand it and like, you know what I mean? So that definitely says something oh, yeah. too, to the point of like just heavily influenced our generation of music. So. Cause they were there. I mean, cause Slipknot was a huge band when we were kids. You yeah. Know? yeah well, like, I was in like fourth grade. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's like, we yeah, kind of yeah, saw yeah, the, the rise to, to, you know, the iconic, like what Slipknot yeah, is. Huge you know? band. Um, so yes, there you have it. RIP to them. Uh, I would like to just send off the podcast as we always do. Um, our condolences and we hope a speedy recovery to Chuck Negron of Three oh Dog Night for the unfortunate <laughs> penis explosion. Uh, and uh, um, you know, you're, we are in our thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Also, uh, one of these days soon because we all watched that Woodstock '99 documentary. We got to have a great conversation about that. Oh coming yeah, up, that's got to so. come. Although that was going to be a very very dark and sad podcast episode. Yeah, check it God. out. Watch watch it. It's on HBO. Um, yeah, it's called uh, Peace, Love, and Rage. It's it's crazy. Let's just yeah, check- we all, we all knew what it was, but like when you are seeing it in real time when you're ten years old, you're kind of like, oh yeah, cool. They're burning shit down, and then you watch the documentary, you're like, holy shit, this was all fucked up. Yeah, oh, yeah. so uh, I I encourage everyone to watch it, and yeah, I think it. we should have a conversation about it maybe because it was definitely an interesting time in music and pop culture, and yeah. uh, also a terrible time in music and pop culture. So yes, definitely. So check that out. Also remember to like and subscribe and all that good stuff on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and every 
everything. And, uh, you know, uh, give us a rating and a comment because it lets the algorithm know that we are there. And, uh, and share with your friends. So, either way, we'll see you next time on Get in the Garage. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information and links to other shows, please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com/podcasts.